Hey, welcome to the Draft Champions Podcast. Usually we're talking baseball, but uh, I've made an exception. We're talking football. I'm uh, getting into the swing of things with uh, Tommy Libretti. How you doing? All right, Zach, man. How's everything? Good, good. Um, so, Tommy, you're a moose on a hill on Twitter, so fo- go give him a follow. But moose, that's uh, that, that's Canadian, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, is that why, obviously? Uh, obviously, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm looking to relocate in the next couple <laughs> of years, so I wanted to get a name that would be a little bit easier to get acclimated to. So I went with the moose. Okay. Yeah. So you're coming here. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah. You, you must've like uh, lo- loved all the Canadians you met in uh, New York city. Were there, were there any other Canadians? I don't really think so. Uh, there were probably, you know, around, but I did go down there once. Uh, it was my bachelor party actually. So it was Montreal? a lot of fun. Yeah. Montreal. Nice. Yeah. I'm from uh, New Toronto. So um, yeah, Montre- Montreal is pretty good time. I haven't been there for a while, but it's, uh, it's a good place for a bachelor party. So, um, yeah, you won the um, overall for the Silver Bullet and the uh, primetime last year, which are big dollar entries and big fields. So that's pretty fucking impressive. Um, Thank you, sir. We, we talked to uh, a guy named Phil Dussault on my podcast for baseball. He won the online, the, not, not the online, but the auction and the main event, which is like the primetime. So he won both of them. So you're, you're sort of did the same thing in this uh, last year for football. So you had heck of, heck of a year. So we're going to talk about that a bit, but um, uh, for those that don't know you, just, I guess, like give a little bit about yourself, like how long you've been playing in FFC? Like, were you, were you, were you profitable before last year? I'm assuming you, you, you had success, but like last year you had an enormous amount of success. No, definitely. Um, I started playing in the higher stakes leagues back in 2014 or so. And I thought it was great. They had live drafts, a lot of high stake players. And, you know, to be honest with you, I brought in, general knowledge to the table and it was quickly met with subpar results even though i left many of those drafts thinking that i had a good chance because i had a good feel for the players i didn't incorporate any strategies it was just what i thought i knew versus what i thought you may not know and that was again quickly met with very subpar results um what i did was i started diving deeper into the higher stakes leagues and i came across a very interesting article by Sean Siegel. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Yeah, I am now. And uh, uh, he wrote about um, a zero RB strategy. And it wasn't necessarily him telling me what players to take or telling the community what players to take. It was more about the method and the strategy involved in between those lines. And I started incorporating that a little bit and my teams went through a dramatic change. I wasn't winning anything significant because I was still putting my own twist on on the strategy itself, but I was just in competition. Uh, You know, I I had the points at the end of the year. Um, My wins versus losses was definitely different versus years past. And then, you know, for the next couple of years, I felt comfortable about it, but then I hit a snag in 2019. And I'm sure you remember that's when running backs were really making their way back into the field in the first couple of rounds. That was, you know, the David Johnson year. Um, Miles Sanders was the darling pick. He was his, that was his rookie year, I want to say. Right. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to deviate from the wide receiver stuff a little bit. Let me go back into the running backs because it was, you know, the, the common thing to do. Zach, I had the worst fantasy year of my <laughs> career. And it was that offseason when I said, you know what? This isn't working for me. And it's not that it can't work. It's just that I don't, I, I didn't have the ability to build the roster properly. Right. 
So I went back to what I knew, which was drafting uh, wide receivers early. And immediately, again, followed with success. It was that offseason in 2020, that summer, where I was like, you know what? I think I really honed in on what I wanted to do, which was for the first four rounds, I want to grab wide receivers. And then that fifth round, I want to grab a tight end because that makes that zero RB strategy come full circle. You need the tight end as well to maximize those receptions. Right. And that's what I did going into last year's offseason. And, you know, it, it was met with pretty good success. It's funny you mentioned um, that, uh, Sean Siegel, because I just got, um, I just got, uh, I guess, familiar with him because I started listening to their podcast um, uh, recently. It was actually recommended by my buddy, uh, Matt Modica. He's like, you got to listen to this podcast. And um, there are very few um, good, like, fantasy podcasts or football out there. I, yes. I find a lot of the stuff's repetitive. A lot of the content's repetitive. Um, just like, oh, what if this guy gets hurt? If Zeke gets hurt, then Paul is going to be amazing. Okay, great. Well, what do I do with that? That's that's fantastic. And but the, like I like I like listening to that. I've been I've been enjoying that one. I've been enjoying the Goat District. I think that I think you were on that. That's a really good one because it's like applicable to like the, what what I'm doing. And then like the FTN stuff, I I really enjoy. So those three things are like I find. I find very helpful and yeah, like I'm new to this, like, I, like you were saying, like, um, and what we were talking about in New York city is high stakes. Is, is a, it's a different beast in the home leagues. Like you can do it good in the, you can do good in the home leagues, but the three things I've noticed was like, one, you can wait on like waiting on the quarterback. It's just, it's not really, it's not really like crunching the numbers and saying, okay, what's the replacement level of a quarterback. It's just knowing the market in the NFFC. It's like people wait on quarterbacks. It's just like baseball people push up pitching. So it's like, it's just knowing that and knowing that um, these players, it's a 20 round draft. So you're not going to be able to find running backs on waivers. And that's, that's the, the second item was that like, I came into these drafts, I'm like, oh, I'll take these three running backs, but then I had no depth. And then I didn't realize how difficult it was to play the waiver wire with running backs. And you're, you're sort of screwed in that, in, in that, uh, in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, the third thing was, uh, I don't remember right now, but I think I, I told you a third thing. I don't know if you do, but um, uh, those those are the two main things. But uh, yeah, like it's it, it just like, I think there's a learning curve um, with the new format. No, for sure. Getting into a new format. Absolutely. And you know, to your point, when, when you sit at these tables and you fork up these entry fees, you know, or have a general idea of basic knowledge, which is good enough to get you through a, a few weeks, if you will, to go on a little bit of a run. But what you really need to do is, how is my team going to be better than the field? What can I do? Not necessarily differently, just how can I maximize point totals each and every week just to get through the field? You know, because as right. you know, in, in, in these formats, the majority of them anyway, they have a playoff system at the end of the year, and you want to be in the top three, top two even, to even have a shot and get an overall grand prize. So, you know, a lot of the stuff, like you mentioned, is repetitive. There's a lot of the same content out there. And the injuries and having the substitute come in, that's that's basic stuff that you and I can find on a, on a typical search on the internet. But to really dive in and, and get in between those lines, it takes someone like Sean Siegel that came up with a strategy that really opened up my eyes with certain things. And then you find others along the way, you incorporate your own knowledge, and hopefully you come up with a winner. Now, when you do that strategy, um, 
um, I was actually talking to Phil, um, who I mentioned before, and, we were, and he's playing some football. And we were we were talking uh, with this strategy and and like taking those receivers early because it just it it drops off with receivers. And receivers get pushed up in this market. It's a new it's a different market than your home league, right? Um, now, can you take both a tight end early and a quarterback early because we're looking at some of the past winners and we'll get into how you won last year. Take a look at your, some of your leagues. Um, but is it, is it very difficult to take both early? Yes, I would say so. I I have attempted that strategy before where I had a quarterback and a tight end within the first five rounds, let's say, and it looks great on paper. It looks really good. But once things start balancing out and leveling out and the bye weeks start coming in, your team is immediately in the middle of the pack. And it's the players that you drafted around your quarterback after that sixth, seventh round that are really going to push your team up a little bit. So can it work? Yes. But your other picks need to be home runs. Yeah. You got to hit like the Justin Jefferson of his like breakout year and stuff like that. Cause I was thinking today and this wasn't really on the agenda, but like, I'm like, I make, I've made a conscious effort this year to push quarterback down and just trying to play chicken as much as possible. And like, let's say you, you end up with the Kirk cousin and maybe I don't even know the numbers. Like, does he, because I don't use productions. Um, maybe I should, but maybe he's like five points a game less, which would be like 75 points less in a normal year, which kind of makes sense. So like the elite guys around 500 and then maybe he's 425, like give or take if if they, if they conform to their ADP. Now, like take a, take the, take a look at a wide receiver you get in round three, like a Keenan Allen or, or T Higgins or something like that. Maybe he's 75 points more than his replacement level. And it could be even more, but I think where the difference is, is that like when you're comparing a third round wide receiver to a seventh or eighth or ninth ninth round wide receiver and flip that for quarterbacks and you're comparing a third round quarterback to a ninth round quarterback, the production for the quarterbacks is just so much more predictable, right? Whereas like your ninth or eighth round wide receiver, like you could be like a LaVisca Chanel. Right. Whereas like a Kirk Cousins is just going to be a Kirk Cousins. That's why it kind of, that if you, if you think about it like that way, kind of makes sense to wait on your quarterback. For sure. But I don't know if, I don't know if that's right. And, and things change so much year to year in football. Like it's like, there's no right formula. I don't know, but you, you seem to be taking the formula. You seem to be very methodical and formula driven in terms of like where you draft, which positions. No, for sure. Um, I, I think that's exactly my approach. That is my approach with the quarterbacks. And, and you did it yourself in, in the silver bullet, which I'm sure we'll go over. You waited for a quarterback and you wound up getting Dak Prescott much later. Mm-hmm. I have Dak Prescott in my top 10 you know, uh, quarterbacks overall. So that's outstanding value right out of the gate. And I, I do feel that, that teams in that third, fourth, even early fifth round, they're battling with each other for those top tier quarterbacks where I'm okay letting those 400 plus points go and building my roster and waiting on a Kirk Cousins or waiting on a Derek Carr this, uh, Carr this year. Even someone a little bit later, like Joe Burrow, which happened for me last year. You know, I think I got Joe Burrow in the 11th round. And granted, he was a mediocre quarterback for the majority of the season, but he really hit in the playoffs. But he was on an up-and-coming team. You know what I mean? That yeah. There was a, a, a transition that was happening in that division, and I wanted to catch that upside with him, and it just happened to work out. Yeah, so if you look at um... – Let's look at, let's, um, let's t- like, not necessarily look at your teams, but talk about your teams that won. Um, and uh, you were saying that you did have some similar, similar players. They weren't exactly the same teams, obviously the, the bullet, but in the, um, 
the prime time that you won, but what, what in terms of like the roster construction, or you can talk about some of the players you drafted that, that, that can t- teach you lessons or can be applicable, like uh, evergreen, like year over year. No, definitely. So going in that, that off season, I did a lot of research, a lot of homework, and it started with my KDS. I wanted to get one of the earlier picks from one through five because Devontae Adams was my number one player across the board. I didn't really necessarily care where I was drafting one, two, three, four, or five. Adams was my target in both the prime time and the bullet. I put a lot of um, research into those two leagues specifically because those are my highlight leagues. I want to do very well in those contests. And, you know, to piggyback on the zero RB strategy, I wanted a dynamic receiver coming back in the second round in both of those leagues. And Cooper Cup, who was living in the third round in all formats last season, I knew he was going to be there for me in the third round. Now, to round out the top five, so I got Adams and Cup in both of those leagues. My second rounders were flip-flopped a little bit, but both receivers. I had Mark Andrews as my tight end one overall. I thought a changing of the guard was imminent. I liked the way that the Ravens offense was constructed, and I knew they were limping into the season with their running backs. So I knew they were going to feature this passing game a little bit. Bateman was still raw. That left Andrews, signed a new contract heading into the season. So I just felt like they were really going to feature him. And, you know, you know, long behold, he was the number one tight end. He was the only one to record over 100 receptions. So I felt really good about get, grabbing him in the fifth round in both of those leagues. And then I started building. the. I, I attempted to, to grab the same players, but, you know, that's almost impossible to do. Right. I had Singletary in the prime time where I had Kareem Hunt in the silver bullet. Two very similar players where I got them. And when it came time to grab the quarterbacks in in this format, because they are important, six points per touchdown, that's a game changer. I went with um, Joe Burrow in the 11th round in the prime time, and I got Aaron Rodgers, I want to say, in the ninth round in the silver bullet to pair up with Adams. That wasn't uh, specifically targeted, but it just happened to unfold that way. Right. So the, the players, the, the, the core players, Adams, Cup, and Andrews were on both teams, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to grab a quarterback that was or could, ha- could challenge for MVP possibly. I got that in Burrow and Rodgers and, you know, just filling out accordingly. People, people were afraid of Burrow last year because he was coming off of the surgery, but um, that, didn't, right. that, did, that, didn't, that didn't phase you, I guess. Well, considering where I got him, I thought it was very low risk. You know, if he didn't work out, because he was he was a little mediocre out of the gate. You know, he was, who, was your, who, who was your other quarterback if you if you did you have one? In the prime time? Yeah, with with Burrow. Oh, I think I, I think it was Zach Wilson. Okay, so Wilson. basically you 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 threw your money on on, on Burrow. And sometimes you got to take that risk if the price if the, the price is laying in the right odds. No, for sure. He was definitely that guy for me. And um, you know. I know once those drafts are over and you're looking at your roster, you're, you're kind of queezing at it. You're like, oh, all right, this doesn't look so great. But you know that the majority of your points need to come from the receivers. So I knew they were going to be the bulk of what I was going to be able to accomplish. Right. So there's room for error with Joe Burrow. There's room for error with some of those running backs. Because I'm not, it's not that I'm not expecting anything out of them. It's just that I'm not expecting too much. So anything in the plus is a positive. 
I got gotcha. you. So um, maybe we'll leave. Uh, I was actually going to ask you about Fab because Fab is tonight and uh, you're in a couple of leagues. I'm in a bunch of leagues. Uh, talk about drops and ads, but maybe we'll leave that to the end and see if I can get this podcast released before uh, Fab runs and uh, maybe people can scramble and uh, start listening to it. Uh, if we can advertise <laughs> that, but we'll, I'll leave that to the end. Um, see if, if, if we have time for that. But I wanted to look at the, some of our, some of the teams that we drafted together because we were in New York together. We met, we met, we met there, we hung out and we, we had two drafts together. Unfortunately, I got stuck uh, with you, the, the reigning champion in both of my big money drafts that I'm, those are the only ones I'm doing. So whatever, it's, it's, it's good. Um, uh, Derek convinced me, Derek Butcher, shout out to him. He convinced me to come down. So whatever it was, it was still, it was worth it regardless, but, um, let's see if I can share my screen and, uh, I don't know, just in case you don't have it pulled up, but I'll pull it up. Uh, draft. Sure. Which one is this? This is the prime. Well, you want to look at the prime time first? Yeah, let's look at that first. So, yeah, you, and, and you you were mentioning your guys last year, which were Cup um, and um, Cup and Andrews. And did you say um, Adams? Yes. This year, I have a feeling it is just from looking at your boards and listening to your podcast, which is Moose on a Hill. People should check that out. It was, it's definitely one, it's, it's getting me into this football more because I'm a baseball guy. But like mm -hmm. when I started to really get into the high stakes uh, baseball, I was looking to uh, listen to a podcast, uh, Batflip Crazy, Toby G. That one really got me into the baseball. And I'm like, I got to, I got to get into this high stakes one. And this is very much just, it, it was sort of just him talking. And it's the same thing, uh, you talking, but it's very like, strategic it's not like your cookie cutter rankings or just like oh let's do a running back review let's let's look at a mock draft it's just you really going through your thoughts and being very analytical and it's it, it adds value it's not just it's uh it's a teach a man to fish podcast rather than just like telling people your guys which is what i enjoy and i think what would get somebody better so again like again good job and um again listen to your podcast uh and what i was trying to say with this is i think you, your guys are pits AJ Dillon, and yes. and I don't know if you got them. Well, you got one of them here, and Jalen Waddle. But I, if those are your three guys, if I had to pick them, they absolutely right? are. Yes, very good okay. observation. Okay, so I don't know. Why don't you take you? You had the five spot. I had the nine spot. Uh, why don't you take us uh, take us away? So, take, yeah, take, me, take me through your team. All right, cool. So to to admit, last year when I had Adams ranked one overall, and I knew he was the guy for me. This year, it's Cooper Cup. But considering where he was going in that 3-4 range, I was more comfortable drafting in the five spot and getting one of the receivers that was left over because I don't see a major disparity between these three guys. And now Diggs is, up, Diggs is coming up. So it's really these four guys I don't see a major difference in. So I like being kind of wedged in between the two, which mm -hmm. is why I wanted the fifth spot. And drafted Jamar Chase here. Um, Kyle Pitts, for me, is a top five player overall. And I really wanted to grab him in as many leagues as possible because the range of outcome for him, I, I think, is through the roof. I'm personally expecting a very Randy Moss-like kind of a season. And I use Randy Moss as a reference because of his athletic profile. I see the same thing with Kyle Pitts. Now, entering this draft, Kyle Pitts was living in the third round, and he was moving up a little bit in that early third. Because where I have him ranked as a player, I didn't want to risk losing him, and I have no problem bumping up a player like this in the second round and being aggressive because, you know, Zach, as you know, we create the ADP. 
like ADP is generated because of how players like you, myself, and others are ranking players. You know, it, it, it's we're responsible for it. So with Pitts living in the third round, I have no problem reaching for him because I don't think it's a quote-unquote reach. I, I want to grab this player who I feel is a top five player, top one at his position, which is what I wanted to do and felt very comfortable. There was no hesitation on it. I, I didn't, you know, weigh out my options. I knew he was going to be the guy for me, and that's what I wanted to do. So when you, when you say reach, I, I, I'd say there's, there's, it's not – I'd agree if um, – you're not sacrificing opportunity cost. So as long as you're not um, passing on someone you like more, which in this case you don't because he's your number five player, I'd imagine that it's unlikely you're passing on anything. But in fantasy football I'm, or any fantasy, it's it's not so much a ranking question for me because like it's not it's not a it's not so much ranking players because if I if I'm choosing between like Pittman and DK Metcalf and I'm I like both of them. It's like, it doesn't matter who I, it doesn't matter how I rank them. It only matters because I, I know I can get both of them based on where the market is. Wow. It's not, it's more about the market than what you personally rank them. That's what matters more. It's, it's knowing the ADP, like you were talking about, we are setting the ADP. And the question isn't, it's not the question, who do you like more, Michael Pittman or DK Metcalf? It's the question is, do you want a wide receiver in round two and round four? And that's how you, how are you going to build your team? So the question is, I'm always asking myself, how do I get both? Not like, not where do I draft a player? It's how do I get both? So my question right. to you is obviously like, you're not sacrificing opportunity costs, but could you have gotten someone else? Could you have maybe gotten, well, in this case, you couldn't have got Pittman. Uh, I know you do like Pittman in this yeah. round, but another player that you do like, but I guess just knowing ADP, what went after Pitts, what went between pits and your next pick, um, perhaps you felt like it, it wasn't a sacrifice at all. No, absolutely. And you know what? We could still use Pittman as an example because more often than not, he's falling with pits. So I do have to make that decision. Right. And what, what I look at is the, the overall position, as you were alluding to. Can I secure a top tight end? and is still a top five wide receiver that I view as far as my ranks are concerned. In this particular situation, I feel that I can do that. Even if Pittman fell to me, I was still grabbing picks because now coming back into the third round, Pittman's obviously going to be gone at this point, but the point differential between DJ Moore and Michael Pittman, or even a Jalen Waddle and a Michael Pittman, I don't think is going to be that much in favor of Pittman. Right. Even though I suspect that he's going to have a breakout, I think he's going to be the 2022 breakout player for the NFL. I can still sacrifice some of those points because I truly want to secure a top tier tight end. Even right. though I could probably, and most people probably have this feeling is they can wait a little bit later and getting a guy with upside like a TJ Hawkinson or a Dalton Schultz. And I have no problem with those players. It's just that, the, the tight end position itself, only three teams in this format make the playoffs, right? Right. And if you look at the tiers, in the tight end tier, there's maybe only three guys. I want to get one of those guys because I want to start creating separation from others. Whereas if I'm drafting Pittman, 
I'm still kind of in the middle of the pack. And I need players to outproduce ADP after that. Whereas I now have that opportunity with Pitts where I can start separating myself from other teams that have, you know, say an up and coming guy like Cole Komet, who I, I like a lot. But when you do a roster by roster, side by side comparison, I'm going to have the edge because of the tight end position. I like how you didn't use the example of Pat Freeman because I have a team. <laughs> <laughs> I like to use Pokemon. Well, Fire Moves, I do have in the top 10. I think yeah, I just moved him down to 11 overall. So he's still lingering around there, but I like his upside. Yeah, me too. Um, so, you know, this is this, this, this explanation is going really well. This, 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 um, the way that this has all come together, explaining it's going really well. So I want you to continue. But um, you, you already alluded to DJ Moore and Jalen Waddle who you got in the fourth and fifth round here. Yes, um, big fan of those two players, yes. And then A.J. Dillon in the fifth. So your plan is basically going your, – your draft is basically gone exactly how you envisioned it. Yes, before the season started as far as, you know, getting into all these drafts, typically I would like to take four receivers and a tight end before my running back. But A.J. Dillon was the one running back that I was willing to deviate from that plan ever so slightly because I, I just love the player. Right. So, but you, you did, you did, um, you probably at the beginning of the season, you probably envisioned getting waddled before DJ Moore, but just uh, you've learned to go with the market and um, you adapted to the, the recent ADP, I guess, because Jalen Waddle was going in the third round. He was, I think maybe even the second, like at the beginning of the season, ADP has evolved so much, but so anyways, you got those five AJ Dillon's a guy that, I'm starting to get some buyer's remorse of not getting a lot of him because some smart, a lot of smart players are on him. He has been going uh, earlier and earlier. Uh, I think he was a sixth rounder, maybe even seventh. I don't know, but he now he's, he's, now, he's a, now he's a fifth rounder. So what do you like about AJ Dillon? Um, you've, you've explained Pitts, but what about Dillon? Dillon's another one of the guys that I, I just have high expectations for. I have him ranked in my top 10. I have him at 10 exactly. Um, I think he's going to lead the league in touchdowns as far as the, the running goes. I, I just love his opportunity. He's heading into his third year, and that's usually the year where the running back on a team that's invested in a running back is going to take the next step. I am not fading Aaron Jones at all. That's, that's not a knock on him. It's just that the way that this Packers offense is constructed, you know, for, for many years, they, they've neglected the wide receiver position, at least in the draft. And when they lost Adams this offseason heading into the NFL draft, I thought for sure they were going to hammer down on some receivers, some playmakers, but they doubled down on their defense. And that just explained to me in black and white that, you know what, they're going to feature this running game very heavily while including the both of them, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I think they're going to coexist. I think Aaron Jones is going to be heavily involved in the passing game. I think Dylan's going to take care of all the goal line work, which I feel he's going to lead the league in as far as touchdowns go. I think he's going to be right up there in yards. And he's shown some ability in the backfield to catch passes once his number's called. And while all this is going on, it's a lot like Denver when Peyton Manning went there. Remember that? They, they, leaned, on yep. their, they leaned on their defense so much. But the major difference is, is that Aaron Rodgers is his arm is still alive. Whereas Peyton Manning, you could tell 
he was suffering a little bit. Right. And I think the first half of this season for the Packers is, is going to be they're developing their receivers. I don't even think they know what they have. And while that's getting figured out, that leaves the door wide open for this running game. And that's why I'm heavily invested in AJ Dillon. No, that makes sense. That's, um, yeah. So it's, he's just someone that I had a blind spot with um, all through a draft season. And um, he just was going in a spot where like, I guess pe- people like um, the average person like myself just says, Oh, backup running back. Like maybe he's not going to be able to get as much his upsides cap because of that. But um, no, those, those are some, those are some good points. Now, um, you took DeAndre Hopkins in the sixth round after that. Um, just side note, he felt to like pick 100 in an original seat that I just did past pick 100 in the ninth round. But um, huh. does and which is just completely crazy and, and not normal. But um, uh, he almost fell back to me. I was kind of uh, I was hoping he would, I would hoping he would fall. But like the fact that you took three wide receivers early, does that allow you to take a player like Hopkins who's going to miss the six, the first six weeks, because if you only had two wide receivers, let's say you, let's say you started with two wide receivers and two running backs and a tight end, would that make it not feasible to take Hopkins here? For sure. Because I went with three wide receivers, it provided more of a buffer for Hopkins. Right. And, you know, I still think he's an elite talent for an offense that is going to feature him I've read some reports in the last couple of days that he's no longer going to be the, you know, the, the wide receiver one there because Hollywood Brown's going to be that guy. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm not expecting, you know, DeAndre Hopkins of, you know, six, seven years ago. I'll take this version of DeAndre Hopkins, no problem, as far as the wide receiver four goes. So just by saying that sentence makes me feel better about his overall outcome or potential outcome, I should say. And it's funny if, you know, if we're going to stick in this round for a second, I had Devonta Smith in my queue because I feel very strongly about him as well. He's another one of those players that I like. And the advantage that you have, ironically, because you took him, is that you're able to play him right out of the gate where I'm, I'm going to have to wait for Hopkins now. And, right. you know, a, a lot can happen in between then for both of our teams. And Smith is a player that, when I picked Hopkins and I saw three quarterbacks go off the board, I said to myself, okay, I feel a little bit better about the Hopkins pick. Let's see where Smith goes. And sure enough, you picked him right after. Right. Yeah. Smith is a guy I've been getting, I've been getting a little bit more exposure of as draft season goes on because I don't, I don't know where his ADP was before. I'm not even sure, but um, he just that second wide receiver. And you, you look at my team and focus, just recalibrate and look at my team for a second. My, my third, my fourth, fifth, and sixth round picks were wide receivers. Um, I started with Adams and then I took Henry and then Fournette fell to the third. And mm-hmm. we'll get to our bullet in a second. Henry, uh, Fournette fell to the late fourth, which is crazy. In our, and we'll talk about that in our bullet. But then it's just those second wide receivers on good teams, on good, on good, with good, with good passing attacks that yep. could, that could, yield value with respect to ADP. And those were Judy, who's like technically the second guy, but I don't even, honestly, I don't even know. I don't even know who's going to be more, who's going to be better. I couldn't tell you, like, but um, I'm just taking the value. Then I reached on Ayuk in the fifth, in the fifth, because I really, I really like him. And mm-hmm. then I took Smith. Those are the, you're, you're really highly talented, good offensive attack. It's sort of like cop and Debo were last year and Ridley the year before. So um not going to get into like super, 
high analytics about this, but it's just in terms of playing the, what you get for your money. No, absolutely. And I could tell that you put this roster together in the first six rounds with a lot of thought. And what I like about the roster is, you know, Sutton is a very popular pick and I do like him, but you're getting better value with Judy. And to your point, it's unknown if Sutton's going to finish ahead of Judy. It could very well be flip-flopped. Honestly, I have no idea. Yeah, it, it could very well be. I mean, Sutton has the rapport with Wilson in the very early going of camp, and fingers are pointing to Sutton to be that guy. But yeah. Judy can't be that far behind. And then your other receivers are guys that I absolutely love. They're on high-scoring offenses with quarterbacks that can challenge for MVP, especially in a six point per touch, uh, six points per touchdown pass. So the upside with these guys is through the roof. If you ask me, I don't think Ayuk is a reach because that's the kind of a player you need to reach for. If you truly believe in him. Yeah. He, I couldn't, uh, he's been, he's been living in the sixth round. So I knew he was in a cup, wasn't going to come back to me. Although I did see Vlad said they're supposed to board of his and he like, almost got him in the eighth round in one of his prime times, which is crazy. Oh, but, uh, but I think that's just, I think that's just a good, an anomaly. Um, just, a, oh, for sure. just a super soft draft, obviously. I'm <laughs> just joking. But, <laughs> but um, uh, let's go back to your team. Uh, so you, you have Burrow as your quarterback in round seven, which is uh, you got him after a lot of those other quarterbacks went off the board. And then um, why don't you take us through the rest of that team uh, quickly, and then we'll go over to the, the bullet. Sure thing. Um, so a general quarterback strategy that I like to use is once the first four or five go off the board in any draft, I start immediately cross-referencing my own rankings because I want to see where the next guy, as far as the current drafts ADP goes versus mine. So in this case, you know, Allen, the, the, the typical guys, Mahomes, Allen, Murray, Herbert, all those guys were off the board. Now I'm looking at my team and where I should focus in on the, the best ranked quarterback per my list. And that was Joe Burrow. I quickly did uh, you know, a cross-reference with ADP and he's kind of going in this range. I've seen him go later. He's kind of living in that beginning of the eighth, mid eighth round. So taking him here and it, this just happened to be a coincidence with Jamar Chase. I wasn't specifically applying that strategy. It just so happened that it's how it unfolded. I was very happy getting him there. I, I think that that Bengals offense is going to take the next step. They're still hungry. They're still young. I really like the range of outcomes for that team. And then coming back, I am very high on Traylon Burks as well to round him out as a fifth receiver who is going to be my fourth, at least until Hopkins gets back. I'm very confident with him. I, I, the empty target share that's in Tennessee is a real thing. It, it, it's, it's a breathing thing. Like they need to feed that. Mm -hmm. And Burks is the guy that's next in line who had a really good profile coming out of college. Absolute perfect landing spot. They expedited his learning curve, I feel, because of how much they were peppering him in the preseason. I mean, what wide receiver do you know that gets hurt in a preseason game, gets taken out, and gets put back in? <laughs> True. And he scores a touchdown. And he's he, supposed to be a focal point. People were scared of that, though. Very much so. But if you remember last year, Jamar Chase was dropping everything in preseason. Right. I myself completely faded him because of that. And that was foolish. 
And I wasn't going to make that mistake again with Traylon Burks because the talent is there. But you're not afraid of Josh Gordon. <laughs> what year we're talking about? <laughs> All right. So, so uh, yeah, go ahead. I felt good about Burks there. He's one of my, my player targets. And now I know in the next few rounds, you know, from eight down to 10, maybe even down to 11, depending on how it unfolds, I really need to start focusing in on the running back position, which is what I did. Yep. And these guys aren't going to, you know, move the needle for anybody. They're just not. But they're good complementary players for the strategy that I, I like to incorporate. Right. So you got Harris, Gainwell, Carter. Yeah, I, I like Harris because, you know, the guy scored, what, 15 touchdowns last year. I don't think Belichick is going to run him into the locker room because no. Steve, Stevenson is is that much of a better player. I think he is. I, I would take Stevenson before Harris. But, you know, I, I actually really like him there because last year it's in the area where I got Josh Jacobs and they have the same player profile. So I'm, I'm pretty – Excited about that outcome. You know, Gainwell, I think, has a clearer path to RB1 than a lot of the other guys that were going. You know, yep. I, I do like Naheem Hines a lot. Not for a managed. I don't like him for managed leagues, really. Like, good for best ball, but he, I, right. I, I don't I, – well, I could be wrong, but I never feel – I feel like I never know how to – where to uh, when I could play him. And, and, like, I've heard podcasts like, oh, what if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt? Well, if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt, they're going to bring somebody else in. No question. And that's an excellent point. You know, the, the, the path to become an RB1 for your team is capped with Naheem Hines. Yeah. Whereas Gainwell, he has a path to become yeah, that guy. I agree. And then Michael Carter, I, I just, it's going to be the Brees Hall show. There's no doubt in my mind. But, you know, there's a learning curve that he has to get over, get through. And in the interim, I have no problem with, with Carter to see what he could potentially be. Right. So look at the look at the rest of this draft before we move on to the the bullet. Um, what do you think about Team Ten doubling up on on tight ends? There, he took Kelson Andrews round two, round two and three. Very very interesting. That was probably the move that got my attention the most because the draft was unfolding, you know, on the normal side, if you will. You had to have liked that after having pitch. Yes, because it definitely shrunk the field for sure. To go back to our, our previous point about, you know, the, the, the three tight ends in that tier. Now he shrunk that tier down even more. But, you know, it can work. You know, if he's drafting Andrews there after Kelsey, he has certain expectations for that player. And that's his flex play. You know, that could be just as good as any receiver in the league. But to your point, your point stronger. It, it, it shrinks down the the tears a lot more than originally thought for sure what do you think yeah i think it, for the, the individual league yeah it shrinks the tears and it makes in yeah well you saw goddard going around seven here so that might have had an impact um right. maybe maybe it could have like no like that tier of goddard schultz and hawkinson ended before i could get to them in round eight so maybe that maybe that impacted me um, so that, um, that caused me to wait on tight end even further, but from an overall, this is, this is like, you play the prime time to win the overall, and a lot of your focus is on the strategy for an overall. I don't think really affects the overall a lot because you're going to still be competing against those top teams from other leagues. Right. So no, for, for from sure. an overall, I don't think it matters a lot, but from a, from a league, yeah, it, it mattered for a league for sure for this, for this league. Well, let me ask you this question. You, you pick immediately after 
he took Andrews. What went through your mind when once that pick was made? Um, well, I made my decision easier, that's for sure, um, because mm. Andrew, Andrews was definitely in play for me. Um, I took Devontae Adams and Derrick Henry. I know you're not a fan of Henry. I know you'd rather be out early than later, but uh, Henry, I like Henry, and uh, I don't know, that's just whatever. Um, uh, I was taking him in early round one when that before like ADP before I got a good sense of ADP. Um, yeah, so what was left there? Um, I think Fournette was a pretty easy choice for me because, um, like the the running backs just were, were going to run out, and I knew that I knew that I needed four. I was probably I was more than likely taking four um, or sorry three wide receivers in the next four rounds. So I'm thinking, where am I going to get my other running back? And I think that in those next four rounds, we're mapping out rounds three through six. That was going to be my best value at running back. No, well said. To get Fournette there. And then I guess Etienne was there as well. But I don't know. I'm not as, I'm not as high on him as like the market is. Like I like I, I still see that um, what's his name? Robinson. I think he's going to have a pretty like you're starting him. For, he's starting in week one. Well, I don't know if he's starting, but he's playing in week one. And I don't know. I'm, I like and then just just to go further, we've talked about my first six rounds, but I took J.K. Dobbins in round seven. I don't know what your thoughts on on him, but I'm. I'm big on J.K. Dobbins because he was like people say, oh, he doesn't he doesn't catch passes. He's going to be hurt. Well, yeah, maybe he maybe he doesn't play in the first week or two. You can't start him, but I don't need to start him with my team because I could slot in Penny or Singletary. Singletary, I got a free look at uh, in week one if I need to or if I want to. Um, but look, looking at what he did in 2020, like mm. anytime he got more than 10 touches, he was a monster. And it didn't, and like he barely, he got like 10, between 10 and 15 carries and he scored a touchdown like in every game. And I think the Baltimore offense is going to be as good or better. And um, I'm not worried about his like slice of the pie or whatever. I think he's going to be good if, if he's healthy. The health is a risk. But mm-hmm. just to um, go back to Etienne, Dobbins was going ahead of Etienne last year before they both got hurt um in in these drafts now all of a sudden just because of this injury i think everything else is going in dobbin's favor over Etienne. um so i don't see how there's like a four or five round discrepancy between those two players it just doesn't make any sense to me no i listen the way that you articulated that makes so much sense and the fact that you have a little bit of a buffer because what you did was you have your four receivers and you have your two running backs. When you pick Fournette, only two running backs went in between your next pick, which was Judy. So you got great value on Fournette there. You don't even need to play Dobbins. You kind of get to sit on the sideline a little bit to see how he's going to come back from this injury and play him if he's exceeding expectations. And you hit on all the great points about Dobbins before he got hurt. The trajectory that he was on was something that we haven't seen. Like Swift. He was like a Swift kind of. He was a Swift kind of a player and a young Marshall Falk even to go back years in in terms of comparisons for what to expect for fantasy. J.K. Dobbins was that guy. And when he got hurt last year, it was devastating because he was one of the running backs I was heavily going to invest in because of what he was able to do. And, you know, you, you have the opportunity to let that develop on your bench while other guys need him to start in a sense. So it's a really good look and it, it looks a lot better on a team that 
like yourself constructed it in a way that it did because you, your expectations are perhaps high for him, but they don't need to be. Right. I and did, it, I did pay the price to, to see what happens to wait and see, because I can, I, he's my third running back. So he's basically my flex play. And my next two picks were Penny and Singletary, which basically allowed me to, like you said, wait on the sidelines. But what I did pay the price for him with was quarterback and tight end. So I paid the price by waiting on quarterback and tight end because I took him, I took him in round seven. Um, and I could have had a, I could have had a decent tight end. Like I could have had a Goddard or a Schultz or Hawkinson. I know you like Hawkinson, or I could have had, I guess, a Russell Wilson um, or any of the other quarterbacks that went after him, which I ended up getting Rogers and cousins, but um, fortunately, but um, no, I, I paid the price. So mm -hmm. for Dobbins, so yeah, I am high on him and I paid the price of, of um, those tight end and quarterback positions, which we'll find out if, if it, we'll find out if it pays off or not. I don't know. For sure. No, but it, it, listen, it looks really good. And you know, it's at least for the second half of the season, which is basically where a lot of guys rely on a waiver coming through. You have this on your bench now. So if, 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 if he exceeds this ex, the expectations of this injury, which just by listening and watching him on Twitter, strongly suggest that it's in his favor. I, I think the range of outcomes is looking pretty good for him. Right on. So do you want to move on to the uh, bullet? Yeah, let's look at that. Okay, let's pull that up. So again, I was in the nine spot and you were in the three spot. Was, was that your first choice, the nine spot? Uh, nine or 10, yeah. But now I'm, I'm talking about KDS. Now I'm sort of, the, the nine spot I really like for the first couple rounds. Um, first three rounds, obviously you get the third round reversal, but all of the guys that I really love um, are getting pushed up in onto like the five, six turns. So now like you saw, I reached on IU because if I was in the, the, the three spot, like you were, it would have been a prime spot to, to grab him like in the late fifth or early sixth. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really like I'm on, I'm on Ross a. Brown. Both of those guys were basically out of my reach unless I took a huge um, reach, unless I reached on them a lot. And, um, I was ready to do that with Ayuk in that last draft. And then just how this one played out, I didn't. But um, hmm. uh, I'm starting to think that the, the front end is a bit better now in, in hindsight. Like, I think I like the three, four. I like, I like three or four um, now, whereas I used to like nine or 10. What about you? What, do you like three or five? You, were, you had five or three. What, what do you prefer between three and five? I and, like. And you like to be at the front end. I do. I prefer the front end. Um all of my drafts that I've had so far have at least been one through five. I do prefer it there um, just because, again, I, I like those receivers. And even though I have Cup ranked number one, instead of chasing him like I chased Adams last year, I'm okay with the Jamar Chase or the Justin Jefferson or even Diggs for that matter. I'm still a big fan of Adams. But you know, ADP is just screaming that he's going after six. So it doesn't really make sense to, to target him in the beginning. So, you know, it's, it's a good question, but the players will determine that, right? And if we look at the KDS and the bullet versus others, you know, Barkley's getting pushed up pretty far in, in, a, in a lot of high stakes leagues. I honestly did not think he was going to fall to you at nine. Neither did I. And he did. And it really rounded out your team very nicely. And, you know, we'll get to how I feel about your team in the third round or so. But 
it it pretty much went the way I, I thought it would up until that point, up until Barkley. I thought he was going to go before Adams for sure. Maybe even Eckler for that matter. But um, yeah, it looks like the quarterbacks were pushed a little bit here in the bullet. Yes. Which made me take Stafford a little bit earlier than I would have liked. But um, I'm okay with getting Carr later on in the draft. But, you know, the same process. This was my actual first opportunity, second opportunity to get Cooper Cup, who I have ranked number one overall. I was happy with that. Once, it, once Kelsey went in the sixth in the second round, I had a feeling I was go- going to uh, be successful in gaining pits again, which unfolded. I was happy with that. Nice. But, um, you know, to look at your picks for a second, Michael Pittman, as I mentioned in the primetime, I think is the going to be the breakout player this year. And I've seen Michael Pittman go in the first round of drafts, including a primetime. Yep. So getting him there is immediate value. So when, when you pair him up with a Barkley, that's outstanding. And to get Andrews in the third round, which is I actually took him in the second round of a primetime. Getting back-to-back value like that, I think, is critical, especially in this particular contest, which you know you only have one entry. There's right. no multiple entries here. So by securing a tight end like this, that can very easily finish tight end one in the third round to get the upside with Barkley and Pittman, I think is a tremendous start. And then I'll, if you want, I'll, I'll let you talk about your, uh, your fourth round steal here. You think that's a steal? A lot of people wouldn't say so. A lot of people are fading him, but that's DK Metcalf. But yeah, just going back to Andrews, um, you asked me what I was thinking when I took Fournette in the prime time. And yeah. I said, I said, well, my decision was made a lot easier because Andrews was selected right before my pick. I was in the, I was in the tank with Andrews versus Fournette and Fournette falls all the way back around. Like a quarterback was taken over him. You got Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, a lot of well, a lot of justifiable wide receivers. It just so happened that no one wanted to take the plunge on the quarter on that running back, and I was ready to smash Fournette if he came back to me in round yes. four, which would be, I guess, in my opinion, value. But he got sniped right before me, and um, I took DK Metcalf, which I think people are just afraid of the quarterback situation. But there's man, there's lots of bad teams out there, and DK Metcalf, if he Russell Wilson was there, I think he'd be a second round pick probably. And he played well with Geno Smith in those three games. Um, I think he's just a freak. I'm betting on talent. And that's what you need in this contest, you know, to give your listeners a a bit of a feel for what went down. You were extremely animated once Fournette was picked right before you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You let the table know where you were going to go if that did not happen. So that was unfortunate. But, yes, he did drop significantly. And I love the talent call with Metcalf, which is what I was alluding to. You know, uh, he's just on another level. The guy's a freakish athlete. It's the way I feel about Pitts. Metcalf is that athlete. If Right. And Seattle, I, have a, I have a question for you about that later, as you probably saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so if, if Seattle can just show a little bit of consistency, give Geno Smith a longer leash than what other people are expecting. Let him learn. Because we saw glimpses of what it could look like between the two. You know, he had a two-touchdown game with Geno Smith. Geno Smith wants to target his best player. He's a veteran. He knows what he needs to do. Locke may have the arm to to push it down there, but Geno's going to lock on. 
if they could just show a little consistency there, it'll pay off for Metcalf for sure. Right on. Um, yeah. It's just, and then in this, in this draft, I, I felt that the, the running back values just kept falling and falling and falling. Like you, you were able to secure, like um, just going to your draft, you took cop and pits as, as you've said, and then you got Dylan, of course, in round five, uh, a libretti staple. And yeah. um, uh, you can, you can talk about, um, I think Sanders is tremendous value in, in round 10. Yes. I was very happy with Sanders. Um, and Hilaire in round seven. Yes. You know, so uh, Ramon Valentine was picking right after me. We got to meet him. We got to meet him afterwards. Me, uh, we we did. Had, me, him, me, you, him, and Derek had some drinks after this draft. Absolutely. Uh, Great guy. He's a character. What a character. Uh, Kemba, Wa- Kemba Walker. I'll just say that. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have time to explain it. We just, I'll just I, say I, Kemba, I just, Kemba, Kemba Walker. I just completely lost. Everything I wanted to say, like, end the show, we're done. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, so Edwards Hilaire, not a guy that I'm specifically targeting, but someone I have on the back burner. And I thought for sure I could pair him up with Pacheco later and Valentin, uh, Ramon took him right before my pick. But um, yeah, I, I really think that Miles Sanders was a value here, even though, as I said in the our prime time, I think the path for Gainwell to start over Sanders is a, is a lot shorter and more realistic than other running backs. Sanders, at minimum, if healthy, is going to get a, a 60-40 split, in my opinion. So he just needs to overcome some health. But I, I like the fact that I could plug him in when I need him to. Now, time out. You could have, you could have paired Sanders with um, Gainwell if you wanted to. I could have. I, you know what's funny? I actually did that last night in a prime time. I paired the two together in back-to-back picks right. in this range. And, you know, that's probably a little ne- neglect on my part here. But um, I really wanted to secure another wide receiver because they were getting drafted pretty heavily at this point. Tolbert's a guy that I, I haven't really talked a lot about. I'm not sure what to expect from him, but I do know that Gallup is going to take some time to come back. He's coming back from an injury that, you know, usually takes a full year to come back from. And he got, he sustained that injury later on in the year. I think there's a little bit of an opportunity for a toll book to shine. And I'm just taking a shot with the upside there. But, um, you know, this wasn't my favorite, favorite draft, but I do like some of the players that I was, I was able to get later on. I think Brian Robinson jr. He's a guy that I've talked a lot about since April. I think he's going to come back at some point this year. I'm excited about him. He's a hard-nosed runner. I think he's the best running back on that team. And they don't, you know, they don't, they don't like Gibson. I don't think. Like they, I don't no. know. Like they, they were, they were ready to send him packing, and then Robinson got shot, and then now all of a sudden, okay, Gibson's crowned again. But there's a lot that can happen between now and like next week. And for sure. I don't know. Like, and yeah, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't see Gibson being a guy for them when come time for fantasy playoffs. Not when he's, you know, taking they've, punts. They've shown their cards. They, absolutely. Well said. And you know, he's at the end of the day, I'm actually a fan of Washington. So I watch a lot of their games. Gibson's an outstanding athlete. Put him in the JD McKissick role. I don't think they should have brought back McKissick. Give the ball to, to Gibson in that role. 
who's a superior athlete because he's a, he was a wide receiver in Memphis. Yeah. Right. And he's still learning. He runs very high. He runs upright. He's going to get hurt. And, you know, he showed his ability to play through pain. I give him a lot of credit for that, but that's not what we're getting paid for. You know, we need a fantasy production and Gibson was decent down the stretch. And even in certain weeks, he was really good. But as far as consistency goes, yeah, he's just not the running back that is, is going to carry that team. Right. And now and- with Carson Wentz, who doesn't check the ball down, and we, that was evident in, you know, playoff games with the, the Colts. He just failed to throw the ball to Jonathan Taylor, their best player. I don't have, I don't have a lot of confidence in, in Wentz. When you took Carr in the next round, around 12, that was your second quarterback. Um, and by the way, Staff, the Stafford play, and I don't know if we'll get, I don't know if we, I don't know if I have a question on this later. I forget, but like, like I said, I do a lot of auctions. He goes, he goes cheap. Like the quarterbacks, like you can get him for three bucks, four bucks at the most. Like he gets that free look. You get a free look at Stafford. If you if you have Stafford and Carr, you're deciding between them. That can be the difference of 20 points in your season. Just knowing that, um, knowing just having hindsight there. That's that's huge. I think it's I think all the all the um. And what I'm realizing when I'm doing fab tonight is like all those free looks were extremely undervalued in draft season because I'm, go- I'm looking at my team and I'm just like saying like, ah, I can cut Terrace Marshall. I can cut Curtis Samuel. I can cut whoever, like, like Sermon, whatever, just for anyone with a free look, like, like Khalil Shakur. Like, I know maybe he's going higher now, but Rod- like Stafford's undervalued. And when you took him, like I was always on the lookout for, you know, went, uh, to decide when I'm going to take my quarterback. I didn't take my quarterback till round 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you took Stafford, that was a decision where I, uh, that was a time where I was deciding whether or not I should take him. He was next in my queue. And then you took that uh, decision out of my hand. And then when you took Carr, at that point, Carr, Rogers, Prescott, Brady was still left. And like that sort of made me get uneasy because I'm like, okay, what if you set off a run of second quarterbacks that get mm-hmm. taken here? I don't know if that's what we were thinking. And luckily nothing else was taken by the time I got, it got to me, but also team 10 didn't. Uh, oh yeah. No, no, sorry. Rogers was gone at that point. My bad. Yeah, yep. Rogers was gone. Team 10. I wasn't expecting team 10 to take a quarterback. Um, well, I wasn't expecting to take Rogers, but, but at that point I was playing chicken um, going into that, that last turn because uh, I thought maybe he would take one and then I would, I could maybe take one that was left over, but then I, I let, I let the, I let it ride one more time, which was risky after he took Rogers. So at that yeah. point, let me just regroup and say Carr, Prescott and cousins basically were left just those three. And I was, and I had how many picks between me? I had eight times two, 16 picks. So that was a risky move and then nothing was going. And then you did take Carr, which left basically Prescott and Cousins left over for me. Um, and one or both of them could have gone off. And oh, I'm sorry, Brady. I keep misspeaking. I keep misspeaking. But yeah, it was a risk, right? No, for um, sure. So what were you thinking there with, with your quarterbacks? So the like, quarterbacks were, were getting pushed up the board here in the bullet. And once the seventh round um, came about where I took Hilaire, I actually wanted to take Traylon Burks here, but I really needed another running back. So I went with Hilaire thinking that either Burks or Alave would fall back to me. So I wasn't even intending on taking Stafford here. 
And once team one took Olave and Burks back to back, I had mm-hmm. to completely regroup and go back to what is the best, who's the best player that's, that's can potentially take this team up another level. And I didn't necessarily love the, the running backs going after him. I could have waited another round for a wide receiver. And then I'm looking at Stafford saying, all right, these other teams took their quarterbacks a little bit earlier. They solidified that spot for them. And in this contest, it's a one entry only that played a, a factor in this. And I went with Stafford. And again, it looks like I specifically tried to pair him up with cup. That's just by coincidence again in, in this league. But I, I feel like I really thought he had the best opportunity to take this team up another level, which is what I needed. I don't think I was going to get that from, you know, a Robert Woods or a Tyler Lockett or even an Antonio Gibson. I think Stafford had the best chance for, for that to happen for me. Right. And you know, I, I, how much time did I budget for um, going over these drafts? <laughs> but it was this is this is awesome. This is exactly what I want to hear and what I want to talk to you about and just picking your brain. But um, I think this is a good segue because I had 15, like, I guess, short questions for you that I had written down. Yeah, and, sure. and, the, and the fact that um, you started talking about um, top pairing with Stafford is a great transition to the first question, which is about stacking. I'm sick of hearing about this. <laughs> I, 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 all, again, it's like, it's the same thing as like, oh, what if this guy gets hurt? It's like, oh, I got to complete my stack. Like, I don't get it. Like, I get it in a massive basketball tournament, but if you're in a league like an OC or like a prime time, like, like, are you really passing on Mahomes in round six, like post his ADP just to wait to get Derek Carr to pair with Adams? Like, you have to think the odds will favor a combo of points from Mahomes plus Adams versus Carr plus Adams. Like, I don't get it. Like, like, do you? No, I, I, I never enter my drafts thinking that I'm going to stack such players with each other. I need the draft to unfold that way. And I need to read the board in order for me to make that determination. I completely agree with what you're saying. And you can really, you can really handicap your team in the event that something goes wrong with either the quarterback or the receiver to the point where you almost can't recover unless you have a superior backup on that reality team. It's just not going to happen for you. So no, I agree with you in the sense that it's not something that I specifically want to do. But then if you look back at last year, I did have success with this with Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. It was the reason why my bullet team was able to get through the playoffs because I was losing a lot of players. I lost a lot of running backs. I never really recovered from the DeAndre Hopkins injury. And because I had that stack, it it helped propel my team to the, the, the number one spot at the end of the year, obviously. So it's not something that I look to do, but it can be beneficial. It just needs to be at the right price. Got it. All right. So we, we talked about, I, I alluded to this question earlier, but no, we talked about Kyle Pitts quite a bit. Um, the market in like in these questions, I'm just, I'm just, these aren't really my opinions, but I'm just trying to get elicit a, a response and, and thoughts from you. But I'm saying, like, I don't actually think this sentence, but the market's reacting completely inconsistently with two freak athletes. Kyle Pitts has almost universally presumed upside in year two. Like everyone thinks upside. DK Metcalf, a second rounder, a third rounder at worst, with an inconsistent Russell Wilson, falls to the fourth or fifth round, as we've seen, with a worse quarterback than he did, um, that he did okay with last year. Pitts lost Matt Ryan, but no one's saying shit about that. 
Mm-hmm. So I know you, I know you like Pitts, but like everyone's worried about DK with the shit quarterback, but everyone's loving Pitts with the shit quarterback. No, very fair question that deserves an answer to, you know, um, and we talked a little bit about it in both of our drafts, but as far as, as Pitts goes, I knew this was a top five player for me, as I alluded to. Now, that's just not because I'm inserting him there by default because of his athletic profile. A lot more research went into that. You know, when Mariota got signed there, I was very, I was more excited about Kyle Pitts because Mariota had unbelievable success with Delaney Walker. Mariota was the reason why Delaney Walker was making Pro Bowls. He got contract extensions. You know, back in 2015, Walker put up 94 catches, over 1,000 yards, and six touchdowns. And Walker was considered a decent athlete, but Mariota got him there. And now Mariota, who doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, I feel is going to really look for his security blanket, and that's going to be Kyle Pitts. And when you match that with his athletic profile, I think the guy averaged over 15 yards a catch as a tight end. He only had one touchdown last year, but he still finished in the top six, seven in PPR. I think he, he's just scratching the surface with his profile. And I really want to harness that upside now where I think he's going to be a, a first rounder next year. Yeah, no, that's, and, a, that's a good point. I never even thought about, I never, I didn't even remember about Delaney Walker, but I think the other part of the answer is like you answered it earlier is you also like DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf, is, he's the exact, he's parallel to Delaney Walker in, in terms of how I feel about his athletic profile. He's a freak. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen this clip where he was running a crossing pattern and the defender, I think it was on San Francisco, tried to shoulder block him. And yeah. Metcalf didn't even move. Now, yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't translate into fantasy success, <laughs> but the guy's a monster. And I had Metcalf in the primetime last year. And when, when Wilson went down, I thought my team was going to suffer this, this fate where I couldn't make up for it. When Gino came in, and as I pointed out, he's a veteran who's going to lock on to his best player, which was Metcalf. He had that two-touchdown game. He had a little spurt where his touchdowns were going up. So that's his talent doing all of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As, as much as I think Gino's a serviceable backup, we know what to expect from him. He's not going to light the world on fire. But when you have an athletic player like this that you can get in that fourth, fifth round, which you were successful doing, the sky's the limit. It's a very low risk and an extremely high reward. Do you think that Metcalf can outproduce his ADP in, in those rounds? Yeah. Easily, right? Yeah. That's, so it's that's, just why, a I smart, keep, that's why I keep drafting. <laughs> it's a smart pick because of the range of outcome. And, you know, sometimes you have to take that risk that others don't necessarily take because they rather have the quote-unquote safer player. I think Cooks is a really good player. I like him a lot. But if we're going side-by-side and who can get you a main event championship, it's probably going to favor Metcalf over Cooks. Perhaps. And I think it's more about price and range of outcome than actually trying to nail down a projection in, in this game because For sure. of all the variability. Um, my good friend Frank... Am I wrong? I don't know if you know him on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Frank, am I am I wrong? Am I Frank? Am I wrong? Um, posted on Twitter that it's dumb to take your fifth wide receiver before your first running back. Um, 
but this would cause you to pass on cup last year, perhaps it's more about, is it more about picking league winners and avoiding the league losers than it is about roster construction in a managed league? Conversely, taking Sermon to fill a running back need last year over like a Debo was a massive um, fuck up. Um, I guess discuss the dichotomy and talk about passing on um, Fournette for Cooks in this in this um, silver bullet that we've um, that we just talked about. Um, like you're very systematic and methodical. Talk about how this concept gives you some reservations, especially like in an overall competition of, I guess, like when I say dichotomy, the dichotomy of like um, just getting good players, quote unquote, versus like sticking to your method. No, for sure. And you, you pointed this out after the, the drafts were done and we were at the, uh, the bar with uh, Ramon. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you said it was, it was good discipline. And it's something that you really need to apply because to, to get back to the first part of that question, taking your fifth wide receiver while you already have four rostered, knowing that player is going to ride your bench, perhaps it's more about the strategy. So if I'm going zero RB or modified RB, however you want to call it, I want to see that strategy throughout. I don't want to be arbitrary with my next six, seven picks because in the event that something goes wrong, I need that to be more of a seamless transition to continue that strategy because I don't want to call it a zero RB build to take four receivers. And then suddenly I don't take my fifth to round 10. And, you know, and, and who's that at that point, Tolbert. So mm-hmm. I need a guy in the middle of that pack, like a Traylon Burks or Deonta Smith Devonta Smith, where I can just easily insert him and still say, no, this is how I wanted to build my team. I want that to continue because it gives me the best chance to win. It's what I prepared for. So it's, it's easier for me to apply that than be arbitrary with mixing in some random picks in between just to say that, oh, I filled in my running back too. But it's not necessarily the, the goal for me. I don't want a strong running back too. I want my receivers to be strong from one through five. Right. And it's like, I think we, you touched on this earlier is like the bye weeks are maybe unheralded because like, if you're using your wide receiver in your flex, if you're a wide receiver, have your team, you're, you need to, you need to replace four weeks with a wide receiver. So that's like Correct. 15, 20 points a week. That's 60 points. That's huge. If you're, if you're looking at like a, a guy that you're drafting in round seven or eight, that's going to get you those 15 points versus a guy that's like going to get you maybe nothing or like just could be a complete bust later on. Uh, and right. you're just basically a wing and a prayer. Um, is that gap of like 75 points or whatever? Am I doing that math right? Yes. Yeah, like you know, 60, po- 60 points. Really the difference, is it really going to be worse than the difference between like a running back in round seven and a running back in round 10? Like, right. Or not. Like those running backs are basically become, I don't know. That, that's, it's just a question I'm, you have to ask yourself. I, I no, for sure. Answer. Yeah. So, but I think, yeah, I think, I think your point to that the, the bye weeks are, are under, underappreciated uh, when, when, when uh, basically replacing them is, is, is valid. And, and just sort of a segue from that, um, from that last question, talking about like falling values and draft and, and, and some people never want to reach in these overall competitions because they feel like they're losing value. Like I see like, on Twitter, people will post boards and like, oh, I got this player in, in round six when he's like usually like around around four pick. But then in the same board, you see them 
take like Juju Smith Schuster in round four. I'm like, right. Okay. Well, you just basically like completely negated what you, what you did because they, they think what they think because they get value in one player, it's like the whole draft is value, but it's just right. like, you have to look at the whole thing um, together. Right. Um, so I guess discuss talking, uh, taking the values versus sniping your guys in an overall, like, I guess methodical, I guess the, the, like the, the quote is methodical drafting gets you positive ROI, like, but picking off specific targets wins you an overall. Do you agree or disagree with that? I would say I would agree. And, you know, a lot of that will depend on your roster construction, right? I, I try not to worry too much about what other guys are doing. And I, I, I think the term reach is, is very loosely used in, in this industry. You know, if, if you if you like a guy like Dobbins or maybe more realistic, a guy like Pitts, I have no problem reaching for a guy like this because at the end of the day, he's not a reach for me because of how I'm ranking him. So getting, you know, a return on your investment, it, it really depends on your roster construction. But your point with, you know, with Juju, it, it's like, yeah, I, I, I agree with that because you're contradicting the whole process. You know, you're, yeah. you're reaching, you're reaching for someone, but yet you're doing the same thing on the back end. So, you know, it, it depends on, on how your builds are going for sure. Yeah. So you don't see reaching like a lot of other people see it. So you're just going to get your guys. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that, okay. That, that's makes all that makes all the sense in the world then. That, that's exactly what I'm getting at. That's my point. Getting your guys. And, and to me, that's what it's about. That's how you won last year. And that, yeah, and, I, and you know what, that's, that's how it's just like, it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of if you should get your guys. It's like, if you, if, if you, if you can pick the right guys and that's what you do, then you don't care about the reaching. It's just, yeah. So it, it's just about being able to identify those guys. And then if you can do that, then that's the play. But I guess right. if you can't do that, then maybe you want to take the values and, and hope for the best. So uh, I guess it's a luck versus skill argument in that if you want to phrase it like that. So if you were drafting early, and I know you said you don't, but um, would you change your targets over time? So I guess this is a question, maybe not for yourself, but maybe put yourself in other, somebody else's shoes. Say like uh, you're getting Gabe Davis, like in round five, or maybe even round six, like early on it happened. Would you ignore him if you had, like, if you're, if you're putting up a couple of bullets in like, um, I guess the OC, if you're drafting over time, prime time is just, is more just recently. Um same thing with like Pacheco, like he was going around 20, like for me, like right. I had a bunch of him like late. Would you just be, would he just be off your board or would you start talk and would you start targeting falling players like Sanders and Gibson and Jacobs and like maybe comment on those three guys specifically? We don't, we, we already talked about Gibson a bit, but um, would you, would you, would you sort of pump the brakes on the players that you were getting at a good value and maybe talk about those three guys? Yeah, definitely. You know, Gabe Davis is a really good example. Um, he was going late in drafts. Maybe he's not the best example because of the player that he represents on the offense that he's going to be playing in. You know, I, I got him for the playoff run last year. I got him for a dollar on the waiver wire. And now he's a third round pick. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the range of outcomes for him, I think, is through the roof. And what I'm seeing in the preseason, and this is what made me change my mind on this specific question with this specific player. He's winning a lot of his matchups one on one now where he doesn't need digs to take the top off the defense and have him run free down the seam. He's doing a lot of this on his own. And I think he's representing this crop of receivers that's next up that, that are getting these massive contracts. He's right in the middle of all this now. 
So if I got him in the sixth round in the beginning of drafts and now he's going in the third, he's probably the one player that I would consider listening to the board and listening to the general consensus on and want to do the same because it makes sense. Right. Whereas you look at another guy like, you know, Pacheco or even a Damian Pierce, let's say, who's skyrocketing up the draft boards. You know, I'm looking at where Pierce is going and I'm saying to myself, okay, do I take him in the fifth round because that's what everyone else is doing? Or do I wait and get a guy like Jacobs later on and look at what they did at year's end? Is the point differential going to be that much in favor of Pierce? I don't think so. I agree. So I'm okay letting someone else feast on that potential while I, at very minimum, can neutralize it with Brandon Jacobs later on in the draft or a Miles Sanders. Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. That's we have basketball in the line. Kemba yeah. Walker. Shout out to Ramon yeah. Valentin. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so what do you what, you like? You like Jacobs, and then I, I see you drafted Sanders, and, and he's like round ten now, crazy. Um, even though like San, like Sanders, the guy was completely off my board. Didn't like him. Um, he like I equate the Philadelphia running backs to like the Tampa Bay Rays relievers. Um, you don't play baseball, but like they're a do not touch because it's just like like they get great talent, but you never know what the fuck they're doing for fantasy. It's just like you never know when to start them. You never know who to start. It's always going to be someone different. You're always going to choose wrong. Um, I kind of like, I kind of see the Philadelphia backfield for that, but when you're getting it in around 10 or later, like, especially when you construct it around wide receivers, it's like, it seems pretty good to me. No, for sure. To echo your words, I am not on Sanders at all. He's not a player that touches my board. When I sit down at these drafts, I highlight players that I like. I don't even waste the highlighter on him, Yeah, but he's becoming such a value now where you'd be foolish not to consider it because it's such low risk. And he's on a team that's ascending that is going to feature the running game because I think they have the best offensive line in the league. I think they could challenge for the division title. And I think they're going to give, you know, whoever it is that they play in the playoffs a bit of a fit because they could do multiple things. They, they have the ability to confuse defenses with their quarterback play with their alpha receivers now, they have a tight end. Now they have two running backs. And Boston Scott's kind of a forgotten guy, but he could be a third down back very easily and, and sustain long drives and catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. So there's value to be found in Sanders versus being aggressive on a guy like Damian Pierce. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I, I hate Sanders, but he has a lot of upside. Which I don't know if it makes sense, but I guess, you know what, maybe the, maybe the lesson is it's okay to hate your team. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have any peers. I, I missed, I missed him when he was um, rising up the boards and I'm not going to take him now. I don't know. I'm just uh, like, I, I agree. Like I think even Rashad Penny, I like more than him and you can get him three rounds later. I think they're very similar. They're both on kind of shitty teams. Uh, maybe I'm under analyzing this, but I don't know. I don't really see much of a difference between them. Between them. I think Penny no, I agree. Okay. Yeah. I um, agree. Speaking of Penny, what's your approach to injured players? <laughs> uh, because he's so injury prone. Uh, but um, like, does it, dif- does it differ with like guys like Godwin and Dobbins who are coming back versus marginal guys like Gallup, Robinson Jr., 
like questionable for week week one. Like even Zach Ertz is now and 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 Rondell Moore. Like is it even like after you get to a certain point, like even if like the injury is slight, is it even worth it? Because like fantasy football is so much like what have you done for me lately? Like and yep. you could fall out of favor so quickly. You saw what happened to Curtis Samuel last year. He was like around nine pick, and then he was basically trash. Yep. Absolutely. So what's your approach with these guys that are like, um, like, I guess I've seen you take Robinson, but like, and I've seen you take, well, I guess Hopkins, but um, what are your approach on like injured guys who could be studs and the more marginal guys? Are you drafting them? It, it honestly depends. And to be honest with you, I used to put so much emphasis on the injury bug that it deterred me from being smarter about drafting. Whereas this year and years, recent years, where I'm looking at like a DeAndre Hopkins, Brian Robinson Jr., they've done enough. Even though Robinson Jr. is a rookie, they've done enough to assert themselves in their lineups where everything that you read about them has been positive. They just need to get back into the lineup. And the path to get back into the lineup and be wide receiver one, running back one, is very easy for them. So you want to catch that upside. Case I also by work, case. Case by case then? Very much case by case. And, you know, injuries, it's going to affect all 12 owners at some point. It's inevitable. You cannot avoid it. You do need, you, your team does need to be healthier at season's end versus the others in the field. But if you make that a true focal point, you're going to miss out on so much opportunity, like Hopkins, like Brian Robinson Jr., or guys that have are coming back from injury, like J.K. Dobbins. Why can't J.K. Dobbins defeat the narrative that he can't be this next player that can come off this injury and be great? Right. Why can't he be the first one? You know, Barkley had a hard time doing it last year, and it, it typically takes two years for that to happen, but... Barkley had such a freak injury that knocked him out last year. It wasn't, he tripped over himself or somebody else's foot. He was trending in the right direction in a short period of time. Why can't Dobbins defeat that narrative? So you're depriving yourself of catching that upside with specific players that showed you their abilities. Right. So last year we saw Bateman get drafted and then, and then got hurt and then he got drafted way later people were still drafting him even after he was hurt and i don't remember when he came back now true or false jameson williams is a fucking wasted pick because what's going to happen is especially if you play a lot of leagues he's gonna get drafted and then dropped and then i'm going to pick him up so I'm, I'm not even i don't want any exposure to him right now because i know my exposure to him is going to be when i pick him up off waivers right absolutely and he's a great example. That's a, that's a really good example to use because there's no blueprint. We don't know how he's going to respond. We don't know what that offense is going to look like because there's a lot of targets to be had in that offense. And we, we could go through a list of players. And you mentioned St. Brown before. I think this is his team. You know, Will, uh, Williams harnesses really immense talent, but it's going to take him a year to get back in. So why waste the pick on a Williams in hopes of, of, of getting something where now he's just using up a spot on your roster. And what is he, the, your sixth, seventh best receiver. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So yeah. to your point, yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. So side note, St. Brown, I was talking to some, uh, some of the uh, veteran drafters in New York city. And I said, Oh, I love, I love St. Brown. 
And then um, somebody said, well, target share, it's only going to go down. You got Shark there, he's going to be good. Um, he, he, got, he, he feasted last year when um, those two guys were hurt, Hawkinson and, and Swift. So it's, he's not going to be, he's not going to go up. He's going to go down. And I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with that. That's just somebody else's opinion. What do you, what do you have to say to that? Well, you hit on it earlier. It's talent. And I think the talent that he harnesses is superior to anybody else on that team. Now, there is a fear of these receivers coming out of nowhere in their first year. Uh, you remember Nate Burleson from you know years past. Yeah. I'm sure there's a few players in between. But he rode the second half of the season on such an upswing where he was getting drafted very heavily the following year early, and he had a very mediocre career. That's certainly a possibility with St. Brown. But I'm a huge fan of momentum carrying over from one season to the next. And what he displayed, the, the dominance that he displayed, you cannot ignore that. No, I agree. I like him. And, yeah, uh, and he's a slippery player in terms of I have a hard time grabbing him. And it's perhaps neglect on my part because of where I'm positioning myself in the early part of drafts. I think he's a little bit easier to get towards the back end. Really? Because I would tend to disagree with that based on what I've seen in the drafts I was in. He, mm. He's not, he's not falling to the late fourth anymore. He's going in the early fourth. He's going early. Yeah. So yeah, I, think I, that's, I was saying, I said the opposite. I said, I, I don't like the back end because I'm missing on Ayuk and St. Brown because I can't get those guys in the back half. So I, maybe it's just because he, well, you got Waddle in the fourth round, so that's you can't com- <laughs> you, like, you can't complain about that, right? So, I guess maybe just, point. you just have you just have guys ranking like Gabe Davis, Waddle, whoever else you have ranked out of it. And, uh, and look at, looking at our silver bullet, he went in the, fir- the first pick of the fourth round. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. Then see, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's more aggressive. I mean, or maybe it's just like there's just a, there's a lot like like you said it's just such a nice place for wide receivers there's a lot of like I don't know if you like Allen Robinson or just like a lot of there's a lot of golden wide receivers in that in that uh, range. No, for sure. Next question. We're getting through them. We're almost through these questions. Trying to trying to be cognizant of time, but I think we already touched on this. Like about waiting on quarterbacks. Do you, do you play quarterback chicken? I guess the answer is yes because um, your strategy sort of dictates that you have to because you like an early tight end and you like the wide receivers. So it is sort of by powers of deduct powers of deduction, you play quarterback chicken. Yeah. I have a specific strategy that I've used for years and it's yielded pretty good success that based on my rankings from one through 10, once the first five quarterbacks go off the board in any format in any draft, I circle back to that list and I cross off players that were drafted. And then I re-rank those remaining five players and I cross-reference the ADP and more often than not this year is Joe Burrow. So if he's around in that seventh round, early eighth, I'm going to pounce on him and deviate from whatever I'm doing at that moment, because the value is pretty much screaming to me. You have to take this player, but if I miss out on a Joe Burrow, if somebody else is more aggressive, then yes, I'll continue that chicken run and use my next ranked player, which is usually Stafford, Trey Lance, they're a car and I'm pretty comfortable getting one of those players or exactly what you did. I, I have Dak ranked much higher than where he's going. Yeah. I, I just, I just don't think maybe Dallas won't win enough games, which is what people are expecting. But for fantasy, where is he going? 
they just people just got bored of him. I think honestly, I think I, people people like love Lance and they're taking him three rounds higher. They're just bored of it's just a boring I, pick. It's it's quite possible, and he's he's a dual dimension. You know, he he could run you in a couple of scores, which he's done in the past. And it's not like Dak has fallen off the face of the earth, and he's this thirty-eight year old quarterback. No, he's still in the prime of his career with a team that's going through a transition. He's under contract. I, I just don't see the the reason for the fall. All right, I got a question on Darrell Henderson, and is this like the the fa- the roulette fallacy where um, people say like, okay, I'm not going to bet on double zero because it landed on double zero last time, whereas each roll is independent of each other. Now, last year, Daryl Henderson was like the handcuff that hit. He was the double zero last year. Now, people are like, oh, well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my gut that's saying this. People are like, they're still not, they're still passing on him, except for Sousa. Sousa's all, all over in these drafts, which is, I think, a smart play. Um, like, just like, I think he might be the double zero again this year. And people just want to bet on him because they think a, a different guy has to hit every year. Um, like I like all of, all the signs are pointing to like maybe K Makers is not perfectly healthy and they're going to split. He can catch passes, good team, great schedule down the stretch. Are you in on Henderson? Oh, 100%. And you know what? I'm glad you bring up this question because Sousa is the guy who is more aggressive with Henderson than I was. He's a player that I, I highlighted on my, my cheat sheets. I actually spoke a lot about him in my last few podcasts because it's a huge mistake feeding this player. Yeah. I drafted him last year on my prime time. He was my RB2 behind Jacobs, Josh Jacobs, not Brandon. But he, <laughs> he was my RB2, and he was a serviceable RB1 because he's on a team with upside that's going to score a lot of points. He's going to get looked at in the passing game, and he's going to sneak in a few goal line carries. Nothing's changed this year. I personally don't understand the hype around Acres because – we haven't seen a full body of work in quite some time, if ever. And when you can wait later on and grab a Henderson, who I think is going to be their RB1 at some point this year, that's yeah. outstanding value. Outstanding. I, I, he's a guy I've been, I've been focusing on all draft season. Love him. Prime time. Sousa sniped him for me. In our silver bullet, he went early as well. Sophie DeGalbo, the, the yep. 10-year-old girl. So there was, there was in our, in our silver bullet, there was, it was a lot of online people. There was four people live and each of us had a side of the table. And then, uh, uh, DeGalbo was, um, I think his name's Joseph. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I th- yeah. Uh, and he was, uh, he was beside me, but, uh, I think there was one person between us that was online. And then, uh, I was wait. I, I had acres. I got acres in round seven, which I thought was, I thought that was good in that draft. Great value. Good, good value there. Um, and I was ready to, t- I was ready to pounce on, on Henderson, uh, in, I think round 10 and he was two picks before me and she's like, take Henderson. She's wearing a fucking Rams Jersey. So I got sniped <laughs> on, I got sniped on him again, but I do have a lot of shares of Henderson just wasn't able to secure him in, in the big drafts. No, I completely agree. I echo all those words. You know, he's a player that again, I, I have circled and have wanted to grab in these higher stakes leagues, but credit to Nelson. Yeah. Who was one step ahead of everyone else. I actually went over to Nelson and we talked about Henderson I, I, I didn't even pick up that he was on him. Neither did I, because you know, he, I, I think he uh, kept it close to his best all season. He really then, did. Because not, not that he wasn't like, not that he didn't give away information because he's like a content guy, but he wasn't drafting him quite as highly. He wasn't quote unquote reaching for him because I was in a bunch of drafts with him and he, he wasn't taking him that high. And now when the, when the, when the money's on the line, he's like, okay, now balls to the wall. Yep. 
And what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, if Acres is healthy and he's producing 60-40, yeah. as far as the split goes, 40% split of that offense, I'll take any day of the week. I would too. I just don't know. Like I'm, I don't know. I'm just taking like range of outcomes. I don't know what the Rams are going to do, but I think, I still think he's a great pick. Um, speaking of adjusting to mispriced players, we've seen Gabe Davis, Pitts, Ayuk, and others, um, and others move up a lot. And others like Brees Hall, Dobbins, et cetera, move down a lot. It feels like this is like the only year that's paid off drafting early. So you got all those values early because last year it was, it was brutal. All those, all those injuries, Akers, Dobbins, Michael Thomas, before he, he lied to everyone. And who else was there? There's a, there's another guy, um, Akers, Dobbins, Etienne. Um, mm-hmm. So the, like having those players basically screwed your team. Um, um, what are your thoughts on the pros and cons of drafting in June? And what, and do you think there are any players that the market um, and more importantly, the, the more important question, do you think there's any players that the market didn't react to enough? Like we we've, we've seen these players get repriced. We've seen Ayuk get repriced right. because he was mispriced at the beginning of draft season. Are there any players that still didn't get repriced properly? No, um, I think there's a handful, you know, uh, notoriously, I am a late drafter. I like things to come to me rather than trying to predict and reach out and not know for sure of what's happening. So I, I try and protect my investment in that respect, but you got to look at the other side of the coin and let's talk about Nelson again. Nelson was getting Barkley in the third round. And I spoke to him about this in many of the OCs in the early going, <laughs> Nuts. And I, I pulled up, he pulled up some of his rosters and I'm looking, he, he was getting Kelsey in the third round, Barkley in the third round. Kelsey? Yeah. Really? I was actually in that league with him. And um, so absolutely, there's an opportunity to really pounce on op- uh, situations like that. And to his credit, he was able to do so. And what even made those teams stronger was that they aged very well. There were no injuries that were in the offseason that have happened in years past um if anything they just redeveloped for him barkley's now a mid first rounder you got him in the first round kelsey is going in the late first sometimes early second he got him in the third um ayuk's been all over the place but he res his career not career but when once lance came into the lineup he was a serviceable wide receiver all over again so there is certainly an advantage to doing it. You just need to be savvy enough to know which players to target and not be arbitrary with the information. Because to be honest, if I was doing, if I was drafting in early June, July, I wouldn't be looking at Pitts in the second round. I may have missed my opportunity on him. If I would have drafted him in the second round in June, I would, I would have been looked at a little bit crazy. Fast forward to today, he's going in the second round. There's no value there. I was, you know, I was reaching at that point, and you can make the argument that I'm reaching at this point. So where I have my players ranked, it's more structurally sound to wait, do them in August, early September, to try and maximize my own opportunity. Right. So to the question, are there any players, like are there one or two players you think that are you don't have to give it away? I don't know if you have the other draft, you have other drafts going on. No, no. Um are there any are there any players that the market didn't react to? Like the market reacted, like the the, the masses reacted to these players, like Barkley, 
and Ayuk, whatever. But are there any players who just have stayed steady? Um, as far as like you know, first second rounders go, it's been pretty chalky. Yeah, to say the least. I I don't think there's. I'm not really talking about first or second. I'm more talking mid rounds. Mid rounds. Um, looking at a board right now, like trying to trying to think of an example myself. Maybe I don't know. Devin Singletary. Is Gabe Davis a good example? Gabe Davis. Well, yeah. the, well, he moved up though, didn't he? He was going like a lot later than he is now. Market market reacted to him. No, you're right. They, 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 they did um, react. Yeah, they did react. What about like Singletary? Like he never really moved up a lot. That's a good example. He, I don't know like, if you like him or I I got I kind of like him. I'm not really reaching for him either, but like ninth round. I mispriced. I think he's definitely mispriced. Uh, you could go back to the St. Brown um comparison that we used. Singletary, and we talked about this on the GOAT district with those guys, and JD mentioned this. Singletary from weeks, what, 14 to 17, 18, heading into the playoffs, he was in the top five running backs. Why are we not taking that into consideration? One of my draft strategies early on, and I I, uh, wrote an article about this, was I wanted to draft Singletary and James Cook on the same team just to lock down that backfield because there's so much upside. Why not? And a buddy of mine said, well, aren't you handicapping your team by not allowing another player to develop? Like, why aren't, why aren't you drafting Rashad White and, and letting Cook remain on the board? And now you have two potential running backs versus the one. And I, I just think the market is just a little wrong on Singletary. I, I don't know what it is that most people are expecting to happen, but... Buffalo wants to win. Josh Allen needs to be protected. And I think Singletary provides everything. He checks all the boxes. You know, so for him not to move up in drafts was very surprising to me. I think maybe Edward Hilaire might be another example of that. I think he might be mispriced too, like just too late. Whereas I'm just throwing out names. Another guy that I think is mispriced the other way, and I think maybe he just got corrected just near the end was Isaiah Spiller. I think he was going way too high with those other guys. And I heard Eckler on a podcast. I think it was Dave Mendelson's podcast. He interviewed him. And um, this is back a couple of weeks ago. And he said, he started going to the backfield. And he's like, well, like um, the backups like Josh is um, Joshua Kelly. And like, he sort of just like, like nonchalantly glossed over that. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> why, like, then, like, Spiller, like, I hadn't drafted him yet, but I'm like, okay, this guy's finished. He's, why is he going, like, around pick 100? This is ridiculous. He's, like, not even going to – he's not even second on the on the depth chart. And I think people finally have reacted to that. No, for sure. I, I think I think so. And to your point, I think the injury had a lot to do with that. That, that kind of, like, set the tone for him a little. But, yeah, yeah you know, that, he's another guy. Um very high on I, I I think that this this even goes back to Singletary. We're we're always on the search for the the up and coming guy, and, and we crave being right on on a player with upside, and we want to catch that upswing. And we're letting guys like Singletary go right beneath our feet. Even uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you know, he disappointed a lot last year, but he had a significant injury that he was upfront about. I think the Chiefs need him more now than ever because they lost a lot of talent on that team. That makes sense. And they drafted him expecting something in return, and they haven't gotten that yet. If if they catch a little bit of what they thought they had in this this guy, 
I think he's definitely mispriced. I agree. I like, yeah, I totally agree with your saying. Um, okay, next question. Trying to blow through these. This is a three part question with about three players Derek Henry, McCaffrey, and Barkley. People are fading Henry because he doesn't catch. I understand. Uh, I understand you saying this in the podcast. You want to be out early on him, and I get that. That that argument makes sense, but fading him because he doesn't catch, um, fading running backs, fading running backs because of lack of targets. Is this a fallacy? Because it was a failure in process last year. Henry just got hurt. Um, also, do you want to be out a year early on McCaffrey too? Because you're already two years late on this guy being mm-hmm. out. Um, so you're out if you're out on CMC as a player, like, are you out? Like, imagine you don't draft wide receivers early. Are you out on CMC? That's your first part. First part of the question. And second part, isn't Barkley just the same kind of the same as CMC? It's like bad team, mediocre team, huge talent, recently injured. I guess CMC has been better on a per game basis. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's it. I guess, like, I guess comment on those three guys. Like, I, I guess you've already commented on Henry, so it's really a two-part question. Um, sure. Would you be like, one, would you be out on CMC and isn't Barkley just like sort of like a discounted version of him? No, absolutely. As far as McCaffrey goes, and this mainly has to do with my roster builds. And if I wasn't drafting wide receivers and I was taking a running back first overall, you know, he's played in what? He's missed 25 of the last 30 games. That's a lot. He's getting dinged up. They used him a lot when he had his monster season in between the tackles. And I, I think that expedited this, this wear down for him. He's a phenomenal talent. If he gives you 17 games, your team is going places. End of the story. But because of that injury concern and the fact that he's missed so many games... When you pick him one overall and you're not picking again until the late second and then the third round reversal in the NFFC, you're picking in the late third, those second and third round picks need to be out of the park, right? If you lose a guy like McCaffrey. So I would rather have somebody a little bit more consistent like an Eckler or a Jonathan Taylor for that matter, who's still an up up and coming player who's just scratched the surface. So I'm okay letting McCaffrey go. He's actually one of the players that I am fading if, if I had the opportunity to draft um, a, a running back. And then with, with Barkley, there's a little bit more of a cushion with Barkley. I'm more open to drafting him because he's going in that mid to late first round. So you're getting that second round pick right away. And if you get a guy like Derrick Henry or another player with, with, with that upside, if you want to go running back, running back, it makes it a little safer to take a guy like Barkley and you're getting almost the same exact output and how he's getting used in the offense. To your point, both mediocre offenses, even though the giants are supposed to take a step up rules, a really good offensive coordinator. So the Panthers should be okay in that respect. So fading bar, uh, fading McCaffrey for sure. Barkley makes more sense. I would do it for sure if, if, it, if the opportunity pre- presented itself correctly. And as far as Henry goes, yeah, you know, uh, I, I just, I do think he's a player second round I'm okay with, but 
but he was going in the first round when I, when I first started, you know, really preparing on when to take him if, if I was going to, and I, I just want to stay ahead of the curve. It's going to happen. Yep. That makes sense. And I, I just, I, I don't, I don't want it to happen for somebody else. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to put that energy out there, but just the history of the league and how running backs get used. I can see Henry going in the fifth round next year. Yep. So you're losing out on so many opportunities by drafting him. That'd be but, terrible. That'd be terrible for me, but um, moving but, on. But you have a first round running back that kind of gives you that cushion with Henry. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes, no, that makes sense. I, I understand what you're saying there. Um, I think Barkley for baseball listeners is he's, his trajectory in, during draft season was Byron Buxton. I don't know. Byron, Byron Buxton was going in the fourth round. And then all of a sudden he was like a first, like a one, two turn guy by the main event. Um, so yeah, he Barkley is the Buxton of baseball. Hopefully he stays healthier than Buxton, but his, in terms of like him being mispriced by the market and Nelson getting him in third place, he's totally, he's totally the Buxton of, of, of uh, football. So I got a new term for you, reverse handcuff. So this is when the starter becomes so cheap that you can handcuff your preferred option, which is, which is a second guy with them. Specifically, this worked for me in auctions. Um, but it is applicable to snake drafts and we were kind of alluding to this. So I got Miles Sanders for $7 in an auction, which is like basically dirt cheap, basically a bench player. Um, or you can get him in around 10, like you did and then get, get and then take and take gain. Well, similarly, a similar discrepancy I've noticed in new England and in Kansas city. So you can basically like, I know I'm talking auction, uh, auction language, but like 15 bucks for the whole, for the whole, for the whole bay. You're like, you're basically, you're basically shopping at a flea market. You're just saying, okay, I'll take the whole thing for 15 bucks. And what, and you're, you're going to have to wait. So you're going to have to sacrifice maybe another position, or maybe you're just going to have to be more in an auction. You can, you can, it's more feasible in an auction because you can, you can, you can basically dictate how your team's going to be constructed. But in a snake draft, you're going to have to use up like basically two of those picks in that range of like round seven to 10 on these, on two of these players. But it could be, it basically, um, yeah, it's like you have that locked up and it's like, you almost like the, the cheaper guy more than the, than the real guy, but the real guy's um, basically cheap enough that he's like a reverse handcuff. Right. You know I mean? Does it make any sense? Absolutely. Yep. Any thoughts on this? No, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's actually, and can be a league winning formula. Um, I've seen it happen. And this year presents the same opportunities. And you hit on two players that I'm really looking at as far as the running backs go, because Ramondre Stevenson is now being drafted over Harris yep. by a good couple of rounds. Now you're drafting Harris because you want to channel that, that upside. And you want, once the Patriots commit to, to, to Stevenson, you want to have that in your back pocket. But that's not a guarantee to happen. You know, Bill Belichick is not one of these lazy coaches that's going to, you know, do the, the quote unquote sexy thing and appease everybody else. This guy wants to win football games. And Harris was a dog for him last year. He grinded it out. Now I'm getting Harris in the seventh, eighth round saying to myself, this is robbery at this point. Even if Harris does not give me 15 touchdowns and 800 yards, let's say, I'm totally fine with half of those touchdowns and almost the same yardage with a few more passes in between. You know, what, what Stevenson needs to do 
to justify that move is basically become the starter, have an amazing breakout, be a top 10 running back in the league. Can he do it? Sure. But it's much safer to get the player that's already given you glimpses of it in a, in, in a Damian Harris. Right. So that reverse method is certainly applicable for not only auction, but redraft as well and, and can be league winning for sure. Right. All right. So let's talk about drafting with the same people at the time. We talked about, we alluded to it a bit, but like a lot of these drafts, you know, you know, the players you're drafting with. Like when I was doing the OCs early, I started drafting early. Nelson was in like every one of them. Can't avoid him. That Duke Viveros guy, every fucking draft. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you see this as an advantage because you can plan better knowing how incestuous these drafts are? And they're getting better because there's been so many lately. So it's, you've been getting, been able to get some better draws in these OCs. But um, at the same time, it makes it so hard to win an overall as so, so many of these drafts go so similarly. Like you always enter these like, oh, hoping for something to happen differently. They are different, but like talk about being able to plan for your draft like you talked about versus just like not getting the value because like the usual suspects. Yeah, you know, uh, excuse the, uh, the 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 dogs. They're going to be running amok in a second. Okay, we're almost done. Um, no, I think you know w- once you see players entering the drafts and their familiar names, familiar faces, and you kind of know their player targets, they're also savvy enough where they're positioning themselves in other parts of the draft. So. You know, Nelson does enter a lot of leagues, but he's also smart enough to adjust mm. where he's yeah. not going to be picking in the in the front end all the time. So I, I enter a lot of those leagues when I recognize some of those players and my player rankings do need to change on a whim sometimes because I do have to anticipate what they may do. And they their exposure to players is not arbitrary. Everything that they do is strategic. So you do need to reevaluate what you're doing, especially as the draft is coming to you rapidly. If you're picking in between these guys, things happen fast. You need to make these adjustments. So, you know, when I'm targeting a a Pitts and I'm targeting a Pittman, there's no guarantee that they're going to be there for me, but I'm not going to change if they are there for me because I'm still going to attack it and approach it the same way. Right on. So um, two, two more questions here. What do you think gives you an edge? Is there an edge that's overlooked in terms of winning an overall? You've won, an, you've won two of them in one year. Is there, an, is there any edge that no one talks about? Like you always talk about like, oh yeah, like the three guys that, that got you there. But is there like, there's so many similar teams. Like, is it DST? Like, is there some sort of, is, is the devil in the details? It's a good question. Um... Adjusting on the fly is something that's critical. And when I say adjusting on the fly, it's waivers, paying attention to defensive matchups towards the end of the year. You know, just because you have the number one defense across, and I'll use an example that I did last year. I had a pretty decent defense leading up into the playoffs, but Washington played Dallas in the beginning of the playoffs. And I picked up the Dallas defense and uh, I think they wound up putting like almost 30 points up. So it's paying very close attention to matchups like that, adjusting and not falling in love with what looks like it could work versus being a little, a little bit more methodical about it. 
Um, I, I do think the tight end position gives you an edge in this format for reasons that I mentioned. If, if you get a guy in, in, in those upper tiers, I think it can cause some separation between you and the pack. I think that's something that's critical. It's why I took Andrews in the second round, late second round, because Pitts and Kelsey went before me. Right. So I wanted to solidify that position because I want to be one of the guys in that tier. So I rolled the dice a little bit by taking Andrews a little bit earlier because it's something that I feel works and has worked for me in the past. Um, as far as anything specific, I, I, I honestly think luck has a lot less to do with it because it's strategy. You're plugging in players, not because it's arbitrary, but because you have a certain feel about how they should perform. You know, so somebody, somebody, somebody asked this question about baseball on Twitter, and I'm just remembering now. If you had to divide up a pie between luck, draft, fab, and correct lineup setting, how would you divide it in terms of percentages? I know there's other things um, to winning in fantasy football or winning the, winning the draft that we play. So luck, draft, fab, lineups. How would you divide that? Definitely draft number one. You have to go in with a game plan. You have to execute it the way that you think is going to happen, not getting too cute with it, sticking to that plan because you're not going to win the draft with your first couple of picks, but you can certainly lose it. Right. So stick to certain strategies. Fab, very critical. Very, very important. Um, a lot of guys like to house certain players that aren't going to do anything for them, and they're depriving themselves of picking up like an Elijah Mitchell from a season ago. Right. You know, um, being cautious with the fab can also work in your favor, but can also be a detriment to it. And using Mitchell again, Mitchell was said to go for at least 75% of your fab last year. I myself was like, nah, there's no way that's going to happen. But because of my builds, that would have taken my team to another level. So definitely paying attention to fab. Did you buy Mitchell at all? No, he yeah. went for a lot. Yeah. I never got him either. I, but I don't know. That's the jury's still out on that. That's, yeah. In my opinion, I think the jury's still out. I never got him. It was just, he went too much, but I guess it helped some people. I think it was case by case, whether or not that was a good decision or not. Yeah, no. And I think the third thing, maybe something that we, we haven't mentioned is, is risk tolerance. I, I think that your risk tolerance needs to be maxed out to a point where you're taking these risks. And it can potentially give you the edge, you know, creating a cheat sheet and taking a, a, a risk on a couple of those players can certainly set you apart from the field. It, 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 actually, it will separate you from the field if you hit on at least a couple of those guys. Obviously, inserting the right lineup is critical. And I think to round it out, I, I think luck has the least amount to do with it all. You know, it's not like the World Series of Poker, you know, 10 years ago where there was a, a strategy to use playing Texas Hold'em. Now yeah. it's, it's just a free-for-all. There's no strategy. <laughs> which, that's, which, that's what some people say about uh, fantasy football, though. Uh, I, I would say it's like 10% draft, 5% fab, 2% um, lineups, and um, 83% luck. You think so? <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I don't know. Did you assign percentages? I, I, I didn't say, assign percentages, but I'd say it's I, definitely over 
it's over 50% of the draft. I'd say 50, like at least, 50, at least 50% draft. Agreed. I'd say almost lineups could be more than fab. I like, it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think lineups might be more than fab. It's just, but in like in theory, yes, but in practice, it's just so hard. Like you see like the best players make the wrong decisions. So it's like, yeah, it could be more important than fab if you could, if everyone was always right, but true, that's not the case. No, that's a good point. Um, that, that, that actually makes me reconsider that, that thought. Um, no, that, that's a good point. All right. Last question for you. And then I don't know if we have to, you tell me if we have time to do anything else. I'm getting calls here. I got to go soon. Tampa, sure. Tampa Bay. Um, I don't like that, that all the, all the position players there, including Brady. I don't think people knew how to readjust. Like we talked about changing and re- recalibrating like value and ADP to the, la- the changing uh, landscape there. Once Godwin was healthier than we originally thought, like during draft season, nothing really happened. Then Julio signs there. Gage is like forgotten now. I got him like in round 13 of draft yesterday. He was going in, people were, people were like drooling over him before. Godwin still didn't move that much. And, and, and Evan, Evans moved from like a second to a third. Yet the needle mover in all of this, when then stuff started to happen, was Julio Jones, and he's still dirt cheap. So it's funny that the player that finally moved the needle on everything, the Julio signing, is still like a three dollar auction player, and still like a round twelve pick. Also, the Brady personal move, personal news like sort of made things murky. I don't think, and he's still cheap, Brady. I don't think anyone knew how to react. So just because people just the unknown made people not react to anything. So I think that there's going to be something in these Tampa Bay players, Godwin's, Godwin Evans, Julio, Gage, Brady, something's going to be like seismically like inaccurate, I think. So how do you value all these weapons? Do you think any of them are mispriced? No, I'm actually glad we talk about or can talk about this because how many years, it, it feels like people want to get a write off Brady and his offense so much that it's going to happen one day because Brady retired. Right. So I personally am no longer interested on trying to phase out anything that he's capable of because he shows up every year and exceeds expectations to the point where, what was it? Max Kellerman wrote him off six years ago. Yeah. And from from that moment, he made that comment. He had (laughs) another hall of fame career. So I'm done trying to fade out Brady and his offenses. As far as, you know, Julio goes, he is moving the needle a little bit, but Gage is still the most intriguing one for me. Mainly because Brady, yeah, Russell Gage. Yeah. Because I I just think Brady, he initiated this move. He needs that Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, James White kind of a player. I think this is one of the first years where he doesn't really have that. Mm. And now that he wanted Gage, and that was that happened rather quickly in the offseason. Right. As far as free agents go. So I, I am a little more bullish on Gage than any of the others, but I think it's a mistake fading and not bumping all of them up. Really? Including, the, 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 including Brady, right? Including Brady. Including Brady. Interesting. That's interesting. So he, he, look, he just wants to win. Yeah, he just, um, I think he just hates his wife and he just doesn't, <laughs> want, he doesn't want to be at home and he just wants to win football. That's all he cares about. 
that, that's all he cares about. And, yeah. and someone said that he, he has a problem letting go. That's, that's all well and good. You know, I, I could understand that there's probably some truth to that, but it's not like he's letting go and he's holding on and, and not producing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 45 year old Brady is still a top 10 quarterback. Why aren't we buying into this? Good, good question. I, you I, know? I, I don't know. I, I mean, and Brady's a, yeah. Why aren't I drafting Brady? I haven't drafted. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. Um, he's dirt. He's been dirt cheap. I don't I have to check how many shares I have. It's not, it's probably not enough. Um, he, he's actually been a, uh, around in a lot of drafts where, um, I was taking Stafford over him. Yeah. But not because I favor Stafford. I actually favor Brady. It's just that the, the Cooper cup on the roster determined that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know I've been taking Stafford over Brady too. Maybe that, that could be, that could be an error. We could be a lot, a lot of things we'll look back on in fantasy football and, and realize it's an error. How much time do you, have, do you have time to talk about fab a, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to put this on my charger. I got to go. I got like, well, let's go until seven 30 we got eight minutes. Let's do eight minutes of fab. Uh, just, I'm, I'm looking at some fab right now. Shout out to Vlad. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just, uh, I just bought his um, FDN platinum package or whatever for the fab oh, nice. is, is, um, his articles, his article for baseball is amazing. So I'll give that a shout out to my boy Vlad. So check that out for fab. And um, I actually haven't looked at it yet, to be honest. Because I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing my fab for it. I'm doing it first, then I'll do it as a double check to see if, like, I'm like, okay, am I, am I just going to be shut out of this player because he's telling everyone else to spend five hundred dollars for him? So first of all, the guys I'm dropping, like, um, Jasicki. There was a conversation on Twitter today. Jasicki, like, I'm out on, like, I don't know. I just saw the news on him. I'm out. Ronald Jones, like, I'm almost dropping him for, for like, Jalen Warren maybe. Um, uh, he's a tough one. He's a tough drop. Another tough drop is the running back on San Francisco. Um, what's his name? Um, Terry Davis price. Like, yeah. is he, is, like he's a guy that's like 99% owned, but is he a drop like in for certain guys? You know, uh, earlier on in the process, I was, I was pretty big on Terry Davis price because I envisioned drafting Mitchell a lot. And because I missed out on that opportunity, that forced me not to look at price. But then, because I like the player and his college profile, he's having a hard time getting acclimated to the NFL. So he's no longer a player of mine, but I, I do suspect at some point in the season, he's going to be a waiver wire addition wire because he was a third-round pick for Shanahan. Yeah, that's the thing. He's a tough, he's a tough drop. He, he, he's a tough drop. And a player that... You know, with that kind of upside, it's hard to let go of because, like I said, you know you're going to be spending some shekels on the guy at some point. Yep. And you want to have that versus now wasting, you know, uh, waiver wire cash on him. But, yeah, he he's a tough one. That's a tough call. Yeah, he's a guy that, like, maybe at this point I wouldn't draft anymore. But now that you've invested that capital, I mean, what do you do with him? Right, right. I, I yeah, that's because it, it, it's 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 sermon of last year. You know, he yeah, a, a player that we thought was going to be their RB one, and he didn't even make the field. He he looked awful. That was like the biggest bust pick that was not an injury. Right, exactly. And you know, guys 
And you look at the flip side of that, guys probably hold on to a player because they think that he's going to be, you know, something special. And now he's just clogging up space on your bench. And you're missing out on other opportunities. You know, like, you know, uh, Raheem Mostar, gr- granted, he's, he's probably getting drafted at this point. But, you know, that Miami backfield presents a lot of opportunity because I, I have a hard time identifying who the guy's going to be for the duration of a season. Yeah. So, play, like, I know you didn't draft early, but there's a couple of players. So I did a bunch of early OCs. Pacheco, Isaiah McKenzie, um, Dobbs, um, Nico Collins, and there's one George, George Pickens available. What kind of money do you think people are going to be spending on those players? And, and this is me. I haven't looked at any, like, content or articles. Like, the Lads article I haven't opened up yet. I will. I've got to open it up soon. Uh-huh. But I haven't looked yet. Um, what kind of money do you think – is thrown down on those guys. It, it really all comes down to a matter of preference because if you're asking me specifically, I don't want to spend too much in the early going because I want to save as much as I can. You know, a lot is going to happen between now and the first round of buys as, as they come forward. And you want to have that money towards the end of the year if your team's in contention. So I personally will not be spending much. As far as what other guys will do and the history of how Fab usually goes, I could certainly see guys spending a good portion, 35% of their money on a guy like Pickens. And if we get to see week one, uh, tomorrow's game unfold and McKenzie goes off, he's going to go for an extraordinary amount of money. There's no doubt in my mind. Well, Fab's tonight, though, so we're not going to be able to see that. Oh, you mean before? Be, uh, yeah, we got we perhaps the fab runs in like two and a half hours. So yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. Yeah, so like Mackenzie, I got to make my decision now. Like, do I throw? What do I throw down on? I wrote an article about Mackenzie earlier on in the season, and I really thought that there was no competition at that third wide receiver spot. I, I thought it was his to take, and since that article was was written, the very next week it seemed like. Buffalo made their decision. I really think there's something to be said for having a share of that offense. If you don't already do, I would certainly try and roster him. I would spend, if we're in the NFFC, uh, you know, I would probably be in the upper hundred dollar range for him. I, I think he's going to be that serviceable. Cool. No, no that, that makes sense. Um, is Dobbs the same type of thing? I really think so, especially because with um, with Lazard now having a bit of an injury, Sammy Watkins is probably going to go off week one, right? Ten catches, two hundred yards. Yeah, as always. And then by week two, he'll be shot. Yeah. The the one constant in that off season program over there has been Romeo Dobbs. I really think there's this strange connection that we're not really identifying yet. We're all making the same mistake. I, I think Dobb is, is going to be a serviceable player. All right. Last question for you. And I'll let you go. What do you bid on guys that just like for the, for the free looks, like are you, are you trying to acquire them in fab? Like uh, two guys specifically, Khalil Shakur and Kyron Williams, both free looks, both sort of like, not like not to the level of McKenzie, but um, sort of right. guys that like they could pop off in week one. Like, like you never know. But and they also could fall into a role. So they've got they've got paths to being valuable, and they've got paths to being valuable for just this one week. How do you, how would you 
prioritize them. How much would you bid on a guy like that? Probably not much. And what kind of player would you drop for them? Right, right. So, listen, if you didn't roster Kyron Williams, shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, to answer the question specifically, those are two. are Are you a fan of Kyron? I have rostered him as well. Uh, Nelson has also rostered him in a few spots. He's he was a little bit more aggressive with him than I've been. We were in a draft last night. I was able to get him uh, before Nelson, but he's definitely a player that I'm targeting just for opportunity purposes. In the event that um, you know Acres or Henderson doesn't come through, but those are two good players because I also like to approach Fab a week in advance. So if I'm looking at this where there's an opportunity for a Kyron Williams to maybe have a role I'll spend you know a few dollars on him not necessarily in hopes that he's going to come through this week but be a week ahead of the curve because he's he's gaining popularity and all it takes is one decent run in garbage time and that few dollars that you would have spent on him is now in the upper 20s 30s 40s yeah and now you're dropping a player who would I feel comfortable I mean your last two picks Three picks are probably guys that are going to suffer that inevitable fate of hitting the waiver wire pool. So, you know, a guy like Devin DuVernay, who I happen to like a lot. Yes. He's gotten replaced by Isaiah Likely as far as the third option for targets on that team. You think so? From what I'm reading recently, yeah. What are you you bidding on uh, Likely? So, unfortunately, he's been getting drafted a lot. I, was well, I, I, I guess hypothetically, what are you bidding on? Um, if he was available? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would probably want to roster him. So I would go in the $35 range, 36 37 just to acquire his services. Right on. Okay, that, make, that makes sense. Because I, I think he's going to have a role at some point. All right. Well, that was that was great, man. I think I think this is a this has been a great podcast. Um, again, moose on a hill, all one word on Twitter, all one word for your podcast, Tommy Libretti, two-time yeah. champion. Um, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. Thanks for like, I asked you all the questions that I was, um, dying to ask and, um, uh, too bad I've already drafted with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man. Thanks for having me. It was also a uh, really good rubbing elbows with you. Once the drafts were over, we had a few laughs with uh, our buddy Ramon. Yeah. And Derek, of course. Derek, of course, absolutely. Yep. You know, th- those guys do a great job every year. But, uh, you know, that's, that, you know, it's one of the things I love about this industry. You know, you, you reach out, you branch out. The relationships are always there to be forged. You seem like a, a, a good, good enough guy that will do this again. Yeah, for sure, man. For, I, I, I had to, after speaking to you, man, I had to, I don't, I always do baseball, but uh, not really a football industry guy. But I'm like, I got to talk to you about uh, some football, man. This is being, we hit it off at the, the drafts. It was a lot of fun talking to you and I uh, appreciate it. We'll be in touch, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, you might, you might be the final thing that gets me over the hump to enter a baseball draft. So I look forward to listening to your podcast for sure going forward. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that, that's it. T- Tommy Libretti. Thanks very much, man. I got to, I got, I got to get going, man, but I'll, I'm going to end this chat and then uh, I got to get going home, but uh, sorry for keeping you. And hopefully this uh, two, two, two and a half hour beast gets uh, really soon. Absolutely, bro. Look forward to it. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. All right. Peace. Cheers.